Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 50th episode of The Stacks, a one-year anniversary. Uh, this is Jay. And I'm Shanax, like stacks, but Shanna. Hmm. No. Meta. <laughs> no, not so much. We tried. So, no, we didn't try. That wasn't effort. <laughs> so our first film this week in our uh, anniversary show is uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, the best known film by Andy Sedaris uh, from 1987. Oh, wow. Um, I thought it would have I th- I been like earlier mid 80s for some reason. Hmm, interesting. See, like I, it, it almost feels like a '90s production to me when I think of it because it's got sort of the feel of stuff like The Hitchhiker on HBO. Mm, okay. But I, I guess more than anything, what the the style of it really evokes sort of the feeling of a shot for Playboy video. <laughs> it's it's got those honeyed light tones of like you know they're they're going out to it's 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 these scenic locations in which boobs may occur <laughs> right um you know the the guy uh not 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 Cody Abilene but but his buddy Jade um, Jade yeah he reminds me of a 90s character like, he's very 90s he's very 90s he reminds me in fact of uh the green ranger that is exactly who I was thinking of. It's like <laughs> like a cross between him and Steven Seagal. Green Ranger and Razor Ramon. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, in comparison to Malibu Express, I would say that Malibu Express is kind of a smoother ride altogether. But Hard I Ticket think- is, like pulling off some really sick flips and rail slides you know <laughs> i i think this has more memorable stuff than yeah. malibu express yeah. but I, I liked malibu express's main character better because yeah. he's cody cody rules uh cody rowdy is, is a non-character rowdy is like imitation cody loaf he's fine but like he is just like an off-brand chunklet <laughs> There's there's a reason he's not the protagonist, even right. though the movie wants you to think he is. Right. Well, promotional so, material at least does. Yeah, I mean he's heavily featured on the cover, but I mean like he it does get most of the kills technically though. Sort of, and he does have the best one, but like it, it does basically open with him sort of passing the torch, like it, it's him as a simulation. <laughs> Cody to like be on the Malibu Express to pass the torch to Donna, Donna Spear as the new main series character. Now, was Donna actually in the previous one? Because I feel no. like okay, so this is just a different girl and a different Abilene who are go who are on the same boat but hiding from a, a witness protection from a completely different thing. See, she's not witness protection. Oh, no, she's the not. other she's girl an agent. is. Yes. She's an agent. Because uh, yeah. the thing, he's uh, rowdy. Rowdy, Aveline. <laughs> Excuse me. Rowdy. Rowdy, uh, Aveline. <laughs> 
on and like they're hanging out on the Malibu Express. So, you know, yeah. we we do have that amount of continuity, but like And we do find out what happened to Cody and why he's not in this film. Right, cuz he's an actor now. He well, he got into movies. I would say they say, they say he went to become an actor. Right. I don't know if he did become an actor because he's only good at one thing and it gets well, you may, somewhere in Hollywood, but maybe it get he, you far enough. Maybe he became a certain type of actor. Mm, you know. Work you know, yeah. So, <laughs> when am I going to get my Oscar? <laughs> you said I'd get an Oscar if I kept doing this. So, like, they, they have... Like the the thing with Rowdy that makes him kind of automatically and immediately worse than Cody is that he's like, I don't think you should be with the DEA, Donna. It's not the place for a girl like you. And it's like, I know Cody would never be with this. No, bullshit. Cody would Cody would be like, hey, you, Cody, despite the fact that he should have been all like he could have been all like macho bullshit. He was very feminist. He would have been like. I'm worried about your safety, but you got to do what's right for you, Donna. Yeah, I mean, like, he was with all sorts of thrill-seeking babes. That was his thing. He had yeah. his race car girl. Uh, uh, he, he had the top girlfriend. Girl. Yeah. yeah. It's a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't really get what his deal is, but Rowdy is similar to Cody in a lot of ways. He He is kind of sim Cody because he's got the same foibles. He's also really bad at guns. Mm-hmm. Uh but he's just dumber. Like he's more of a fool than he's, Cody. Yeah, he's dumber, but not dumber in an endearing way. He's just yeah. He's just less. Cody was dim, but dim but lovable. Cody's <laughs> rowdy is just dim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's a non-character basically, in my opinion. But you know that that's why essentially he is being. Shuffled off to the side because yeah. Donna is the new main character of this series, and she's going to continue on in the other movies. Her and uh, uh, Hope Marie Carlton as Turin, who oh, uh, will appear in the there's more? They, Oh yeah, they carry on in the the further movies. Oh shit! I didn't know there was more after this. There's, I think, ten movies altogether. Oh my god! Okay, all right. well that's cool. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of them, Pat Morita, is the villain. Maybe even the next one. No, I think it's the one after that. Uh, I'd love to see that. Mr. Miyagi, yeah. <laughs> uh, notably, Andy Sedaris met Donna shooting a video for Playboy, of course. <laughs> uh, the Playboy Olympic special. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it kind of really tracks for all of this, both that Andy shoots Playboy videos as well, because this does look like that kind of style. Uh, and that, you know, that's a really good place to cast women for these movies. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a, if you're looking for a certain type, uh, you'll find them there. Right. So they're on the boat. She does this you Tarzan me Jane line. Uh, and like, it, it's a good line because he really does look like 50s Tarzan. That's the sort oh, of gosh. beefcake he is. Yeah, he does. Yeah, like he makes the goofy facial expressions rather than trying to act. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or or is loud, mm. uh, unpleasantly loud, that, and enough that everybody remarks on. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, she takes her top off and they kiss. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, standard, standard issue. And we so cut... many boobs in this. 
Oh yeah, I mean that is absolutely necessary for an Andy Sedaris film. There there will be boobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we get these two really chill local Honolulu boat cops going in <laughs> to get their cut of a local grow up that they know about. <laughs> they don't hurt anybody. I just go in every now and again, be like, "Hey guys, chill out," and they give me some money, and that's it. You don't I stop think, him? I don't stop him. I don't know if they even give him money. I think they just give him some weed. And he's just, or no, he says he finds them a little bit. Right. So, right. you know, him you know what that fun. really means. Yeah, yeah. But he gets there, or they, they arrive, and there are all these scary dudes. And it's like a factory line setup. Like, this isn't how it usually is. Well, I, looking at it, I didn't get the the impression that it was an assembly line either it looks like a bunch of campers arriving for a party except for you know shades with his ak or whatever it is well yeah i mean that's sort of the key thing that we've got our three baddies shades skater and i i don't know who the third i don't know uh, the third guy's earring name. is the third guy the earring. big fat guy is earring i i just wrote him down as big round guy <laughs> <laughs> um I, I love this villain tr- or this uh, henchman trio They're because great. I feel like these guys each act as though the actors were told they were the most important henchmen. Oh, yeah. Well, like each of them has just a name based on a fashion accessory. So they all kind of seem equal in that sense. Yeah. And they, all they of all them have to have like their quirks on full display all the time. They, they, even when they're not like saying anything, just their look on their faces and the way they stand they're hamming it up all the time it's wonderful oh, yeah. and and they're all pretty great uh i i and and i like that all of them get a, a big end uh but like we, every villain we saw a skater in seven too he was yes. uh he, we, we he actually played a much more important part there i guess it's kind of a similar a part. similar part but he did more he he was around for longer. It's just kind of surprising how quickly his death shows up in this movie because it's such a great and memorable part of it. And it just kind of happens in the middle of nothing else. Yeah. It's just sort of out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh. So the, the, the two cops, they it's like, well, this is not right. And they start to creep away and they, they, they fall into a trap and the, you know, they're pulled upside down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, the baddies just come in, just gruesomely just fucking blow them the fuck away. Like shotguns. Oh, yeah. We we like, see holes go through them. Yeah. Um, out of focus. So it's not, it's not quite rainy, but, but you can tell there's holes. And we, we cut to an extreme close up of shades and he says, run these two guys in their boat through the shredder and feed them to the fish and bang the the <laughs> logo on a shipping crate just like slams into frame like drops oh, yeah. into frame it's like what an awesome open like just such a in, incredible smash bang into it <laughs> and while we're on the topic of awesome opens this credit sequence i love these credits yeah so uh, oh, Please go ahead. So, so what's going on here is like in all in every credit sequence of just about every movie ever, you see like maybe something animated or just words superimposed on something, or even just like following up, like animated following along something. No, they actually printed out pages and put them on the boxes, and then like 
all of these credited boxes are all in this warehouse and they're doing like this whole like it's a whole sequence where they choreograph like lifting them up with uh forklifts and dropping them down and things yeah they they just print like a bunch of they printed all the credits out on like brown paper and just attach them to his sides of a bunch of crates in an actual uh, warehouse. Uh, uh, Andy Sedaris says in the commentary track, yeah, it cost about 20 bucks. It's very cost efficient <laughs> and it looks great. Holy shit. Well, yeah, it, it's really great. I really like I've always been struck by it. But yeah, yeah just cheap, yeah. easy solution. I can't believe that cost 20 bucks, but it's cheap. I, can, I mean, I mean it, probably, it works, though. He probably knew someone who had a factory or, you know, there there was a factory that, you know, was was associated with some studio that he worked with. And, you know, he just had to I pay for the paper. Also, <laughs> I guess it was also uh, 20 bucks, 1987 money. So. That too. Yeah. 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 Uh, so at the warehouse where we return after the credits, we're introduced to Richard LaFour, who we have seen also previously in Seven, The Professor. <laughs> he plays the warehouse manager here dixon uh and the professor was the most op character in seven as we may recall he was the guy with the rocket launcher but in this universe he is just spends he's, he's he has a he has to spend a whole movie trying to make a phone call it's hard yeah he, it's he's not having his a, fault but it's hard yeah he's having a really hard time getting these people on the phone uh, but he kind of maybe could just be the professor, just retired. Now he, he runs a a warehouse in Hawaii. And he doesn't want to, like, cheat by using his professor powers to get the message across. I mean, he doesn't really want to get out of the warehouse. He doesn't want to go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he never leaves the warehouse. We only no, ever see him in not. the single location. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's not like the last one where he's part of the team and he's going on location. He's going to stick in that chair real good <laughs> i earned this retirement when i did that crazy ass shot yeah i hit someone with a smart bomb someone else can save the world now yeah i'm just gonna keep calling these people soon i'll get through about that snake so, <laughs> so we're introduced to this contaminated snake uh in in great big letters on the crate the snake is contaminated or yeah, I guess it's a band around the crate that says contaminated snake. Yeah, they the, didn't the crate. stick a label onto the crate, which is real bad. You gotta, like, stamp that shit on there. The crate says live snake, but there's, like, it, it's sort of like a, a an emergency seal or something, this warning label that's yeah. wrapped around it. But it is uh, pulled off accidentally by a forklift driver who kind of just catches the edge of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, so now the uh, contaminated live snake crate looks identical to a regular live snake crate. Which and there is just here somewhere. To be one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there is uh, a regular live snake crate. And with this, we get our very first of several snake puppet reacts. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I love this thing. Yeah, I, I love these so much every time it cuts to the snake for a reaction. Like the 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 forklift driver pulls the label off and you you see it snap and it cuts to an interior reaction of the snake and like ah Yeah, as he's like <laughs> peering through the the 
uh, in between the, the wooden boards of the crate. And he's like, oh, man, I'm going to cause so much chaos when I get out of here. It's it's great. It's a very good introduction to our main villain in the film. He's not the main villain, though. But, he, but you know, we're led to believe for a very long time he's going to be. He's the final villain. Yes. Or, no, I guess there's another one after there, him, too. He's the co-final <laughs> villain. There's sort Somebody of, like, five endings. Job. Yeah. Yeah, th- this one is one that just, like, it ends and then people realize it didn't end and then it ends a couple more times. <laughs> well, there's so many moving pieces. Like, the actual villain is only in two scenes, and by the time they get to him, you kind of forget he was the villain. It's very weird, because, like, it, it is that Andy Sedaris thing where it's just so much is always happening that you never... You, you feel like it, it never slows down, and it never really does slow down. I mean, there are some very bad hacky comedy sequences in this one that do slow things down a bit. Uh, well, much I more think so. They work, mostly. I, I'm thinking mainly of the sportscaster stuff, and I feel oh, like. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I prefer the Buffingtons. You know, I, I take the Buffingtons over oh, sportscaster you know, the Buffingtons bullshit any day. are better than the sportscaster because the Buffingtons interact with characters we care about. Yes, yeah, sportscasters and, do not. And their jokes are so bad. They're just such corny, hacky crap. And we'll get to them later. Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess we could just skip over them. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, I probably have a thing should. or two to say. Because one of oh, them yeah. has a, is a love interest, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. One's uh, Taryn's boyfriend. One of her boyfriends. One of her boyfriends. She's she's kind of like girl Cody Abilene. Kind of. Well, like, and she is kind of the, she's the civilian. So she is actually the next person who's introduced. You know, we we get the snake puppet reacts and then we get her uh, running in from the purple surf of sunset in Hawaii. Uh, Really nice uh, introduction, you know, swimsuit and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, It's weird with Turin and donna that they kind of look like they're the same <laughs> like maybe like sisters older and younger they sisters. do look like they could be related um yeah a little bit Part maybe of it's, it's that, just that they all do this they kind of wear the same clothes yeah and have the same i was hair. gonna say <laughs> like they, they have the same made outfits. Them look different they have very tight shorts they have tool belts they've got sunglasses the exact same blonde hairstyle <laughs> and uh, button-up shirts that are not buttoned up. Yeah, and <laughs> I guess both buttons to unbutton to the exact same button. By the way, right. Well, and it's it's sort of a mixture of being yeah, it's the busty '80s blonde playmate look for one thing, and it's also you know they are dressed up in costumes as if they're going to do one of those photo shoots. Most scenes, <laughs> yeah. Some scenes feel like they are those shoots. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. And I also like their black Malibu Barbie Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So they, they hop in their Jeep and they go over to Molokai Cargo, which is where our guy Dixon, uh, the, the professor, is hanging out. Or he, he runs the place. Yeah. And uh, uh, his guys, his guys give them... so. Th- I actually, when I started this movie, because I had seen it many times before, I wanted to like track the movements of the two snakes for the snake switcheroo. Turns and I made this whole chart, and 
halfway through making the chart, I discovered it was completely unnecessary. Yeah, no, it's really simple. Yeah, uh, I it, thought it one snake does all the stuff and the other one is just forgotten about. Yeah, they, they just abandon it. They, they forget about it. Uh, it. It just seems like it's more complicated because, again, it's that Andy Sedaris thing of just everything happening constantly throughout the movie. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. No, that that one thing made sense. It's just it was intertwined with 50 other things. Yes, yes. Like by the time the snake finally shows up to do his thing, we've stopped like two different big bads. And uh, yeah. Right. So they're they're here to pick up a snake. The intention is they're they're getting one that's for display at the Molokai Ranch Wildlife Park, um, which so we never see. We never see this. We never see the park. We never see the good snake. Um, yeah, we never see any of this. One thing they do mention, and this is something I kind of thought was was kind of like a sticking point for me, and maybe maybe it shouldn't be, but. They said that there are no snakes in Hawaii, and this one snake is like the first one. It's like, then why are they bringing? First of all, if that I don't know if it's true, but if it is, it is true. That, for, oh, is it? Okay, that, that's cool. also uh, part of the plot of Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> oh shit! Because because like if if okay, so that being true, I know that like introducing foreign species to Hawaii, uh, big deal. They don't want you to do it. Well, I, I guess that's the idea is that it's going to be exclusively within a zoo. Oh, OK. Because they're, like... they're also given like instructions for feeding and how it's going to be like put on display and stuff. So, OK, I, I misunderstood. For some reason, I thought it was like a wildlife center for Hawaiian wildlife. I didn't get it. No, it's a zoo. OK. Uh, but so they, ultimately, the thing is, the wrong one gets loaded on their plane. They, yes, they load they get the, the contaminated snake. snake. Or the contaminated snake, yes. And, he, and the snake is like, yeah, I'm on the wrong plane. I, I really like there's there's a bit here where Taryn and Donna are in the hangar and getting ready to get on the plane. And Trin's like, I'm going to pretend I'm in a James Bond movie. And Donna just completely flat. You have a great imagination, Taryn. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I don't know if it's a bad line reading or if it's just her. I mean, like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, I think I think that's kind of kind of great because it's kind of the dynamic between these two characters. Taryn is in witness protection because of something where it's not really specified, but. Yeah, I don't, I'm sure. I don't think it ever is mentioned in this movie. No. It might be but, in the next so, one. Whatever it was must have traumatized her to the point where she just gives no fucks and all of this is just fun for her. She's very silly. She like she knows that there is real danger, but she doesn't give a fuck and she just has fun with it. Well, I like her. She's in tourism, which seems like a weird choice for someone who's in witness protection. Well, yes. Because they're, in addition to flying the Molokai cargo plane, they're carrying these honeymooners in with them. Yeah, you know what? That's that's kind of a high-profile thing for a witness protection person to be doing. A little bit. A little bit. I'll, and it's uh, Hawaii. That, this is a major tourist destination. A lot of people are going to run into you mm -hmm. over there. Yeah, hmm. Uh, but I do really love their sequence of flying to the island with the theme song. <laughs> the hard ticket to Hawaii theme song. 
I really love this theme song. It, it's like so corny, but it's it's epic in its own way. And it it <laughs> the 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 theme and them flying in, it's like they're flying into Jurassic Park. Oh my god, it does feel like that. <laughs> And I kind of want to see the the two of them switched or mashed up. I like either one would be great. <laughs> now I'm imagining if Taryn and Donna were in Jurassic Park, I think it would I mean, have ended differently. I think there would have been less casualties. I think there might have been more boobs. There definitely would have been more boobs. And it probably wouldn't have had some kind of like tacked on message about, you know, uh, procreating and becoming parents and you know, liking kids and such. <laughs> I must have blocked that part out completely. Uh, but I, I really love this theme. The, it, it's so corny. It's got that 80s power ballad thing. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a hard ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, this is a really hard ticket to Hawaii or something like that. It it's just awesome, uh, and just like gorgeous vistas, like the you know really really great use of their Hawaiian locations. They did some just great helicopter shots coming in around the islands, uh, and like immediately Dixon has already realized that the wrong snake got sent, but he is never able to catch up with them for like another hour of movie. Yeah, he he spends. Because he keeps trying to radio them, but they're they're doing their own thing, and they they barely get to be near the plane because they've got all this other shit going on. Well, like there is a part where they're on the plane again between here and there, but I think they just he must have been in between. I guess because like so they they take uh, the honeymooners to their camping spot, and I really like this bit where. They're they're walking with them, and Turin just pulls out a pair of nunchucks and starts spinning them just while she's walking. Oh yeah, because because she decides that she's also like a ninja. Uh, she pulls shurikens out of her boots at one point. No, no, that's Donna. Donna. Oh, that's has Donna. The, Donna has the shurikens, and Turin has uh, the nunchucks. Uh, but of course, this is where uh, Dixon is first trying to reach them while they're walking away from the plane with the honeymooners, and. I, I this is probably my favorite reaction shot of the puppet snake is because it's him radioing and it keeps cutting to the puppet snake reacting like, ah, every time he talks. <laughs> oh, it's really funny. You can't reach them, Dixon. But like, I, ah, I am here. You can't hear me, but I am here. <laughs> uh, and the snake looks so sinister. It looks so fake. It's but very it looks good looking. It's 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 very unrealistic, but kind of perfectly unrealistic. It's sort of like Velocipaster. It's as <laughs> bad as you want it to look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, it, it does look like a monstrous thing, though. Well, it looks like a monster, a monster mm-hmm. snake. Uh, we we meet our biggest bad, although he's not well, that important in, ter- in, in the long the, run. In the big bad. In the hierarchy of the Big Bad organization, he's the leader, but yeah, in terms of effect on the storyline, this guy's kind of nothing. Yeah, he doesn't do a lot, but you know, we we do get to him. So, Mister Chang, Mister Chang, who's a very white man in a blue very suit, very white, uh, like the whitest person in the whole movie. 
he kind of looks like old Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, with a little bit of Anthony Hopkins thrown in. Yeah, and he's doing this, honestly, kind of ahead of its time, drug deal or diamond for drugs deal via RC helicopter. Yeah, now when I first saw this, however many years ago, I was like, hey, they threw in a silly RC helicopter thing. And now in 2020, I'm like, hmm. This doesn't Jones. even read as a joke. Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> it doesn't even read as quirky. You you can have weed delivered to you by drone in places in Canada legally. <laughs> I yeah, believe like this, this is a perfectly normal thing that he's doing. Yeah, and the skater and the chonky guy earring are both driving there. Uh, uh, skaters on a motorbike and uh, earrings on an ATV. And we, we see all these action shots of them driving there, but I guess they're late. <laughs> they must be late, and this drone must not have uh, cameras, because no. Chang just lands it right next to Donna and Taryn. Yeah, it's just straight up in a, a classic 80s RC helicopter. So, like, the girls yeah. are on their way back to their plane, and they just... It's like, huh, helicopter, that's weird. And it lands right in front of them, and then opens its little door. Yeah, and there's these little boxes inside. And the girls are like, well, I guess we'll take those. And then the guys arrive and start shooting at them. Yeah. Uh, here's where here's where I guess Donna pulls out her ninja stars. Yeah, she shurikens earring. Uh, Turin <laughs> clobbers skater with the nunchucks. Yeah. Lots uh, notably, of people have nunchucks in this, but nobody uses them nunchuckular. Well, they I always just throw them. Here. I, I think she, this is fairly appropriate in that, like, she does take him out. Like, both of them. She takes him out, sure. And, and I would note, very importantly here, uh, they take one box, and one box gets dropped. And only Taryn notices the crevice that it falls into. See, I didn't notice her noticing. Mm. Um, they point if they do that, have a shot. Okay. Because I saw that it fell on the floor, but I didn't see that she saw it. Yeah, it falls like in a hole or something, like a, yeah. with a branch or something. But yeah, it's kind of hard to find. What what I really like with them using their ninja weapons is, like good ninjas, they actually retrieve the weapons on their way past. Like uh, Donna yeah, takes her shuriken, uh, Turin grabs the nunchucks, and they just keep on going. And those guys are just like clobbered on the ground, and they go back and they take the plane and take off. Well, you think the the DEA or whatever is going to just keep buying her new ones? They're going like, to start asking questions. Yeah, I don't think they're even DEA issued. I think those I are don't even fun. Know. Yeah, you're right. Because, I mean, uh, Turin does not work for the DEA. Right. Why is she? Oh, right. She involves herself in this kind of forcefully. She's in it for the thrills. Yes, very much so. Uh, but oh, so the copter great. takes off <laughs> and Skater is like, I dread facing Seth empty handed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh, Seth, I'm looking Seth. forward to getting to Seth. Seth is great. Very good villain. The real Seth main is probably villain, the main villain for yeah. real. Yeah, for sure. So the girls fly home and in the plane, they're like, let's unload and hit the jacuzzi. I do my best <laughs> thinking there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, 
So they put the snake in the hangar, and we we get a cut to Edie's restaurant. We we get our first hint of what's going on at Edie's restaurant, sort of a key location in this series. Yeah. So the the restaurant, as far as I can tell, is the only restaurant in Hawaii because this is where everybody goes. <laughs> it's like the Grove in uh, Saved by the Bell. It's just you know it's oh, where yeah. everybody goes. Yeah, exactly. Or or the cafe and friends. Yeah. Uh, Central Perk. I was never uh, going to get the name. <laughs> I wasn't going to try for it. I, I might be mistaking the Grove. That might be Power Rangers. Rather I'm than, thinking Power Rangers was the Grove. I think so. But I never saw Saved by the Bill. Oh, I watched them both a lot. They they blend in my mind actually quite a bit. Uh, so, so, so this is like its own thing. with. So this restaurant's got its own set of characters. The whole cast of characters, most of whom have no interaction with the main plot. Yeah, there's only like two that matter. Right. And, and one then is kind of tangential. Like, yeah, tangential. We've got Ashley, the obnoxious. I don't know. Is he the maitre d'? What I is his purpose? he's the maitre d'. He just seems annoying. He's <laughs> just here to tell everybody, hey, the girls here have boobs. Have you have you ogled them enough lately? Uh, you should buy a bunch of our good food. By the way, look at tits. Yeah, he's just kind of aggressively obnoxious he doesn't really serve any purpose he's annoying to every single person who comes in the restaurant and he seems to have no power and he seems to have no friends he's just weird yeah there's that part where they take his car and that's sort of the only thing he does of any use and otherwise it's just like you know, people come and it's like, uh, hi, we need to talk to Edie. He's like, I fired her. Ha <laughs> ha, just kidding. Yeah, 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 She's probably doing something important because I don't do dick all around here. Because, <laughs> like, here he's, he's you know, greeting and there's this girl, Charlotte, who arrives and he's being obnoxious. And finally, Edie's like, go check on some reservations. They're like, Don't you have some reservations to check on? And she takes Charlotte away to... Are, are beginning with the sportscasters. So this is a whole story arc that is just completely removed from everything else in the movie. It is this movie's Buffingtons. But less so because the Buffingtons at least challenge the hero and get in his way. Yeah, and they it has kind of a payoff, whereas this it does not. <laughs> it's just a series yeah, of really bad uncle resolved. jokes. Yeah, so... So There's... this first one, it's Andy Sedaris as the sportscaster, Whitey. Oh yeah, he's uh, he he kind of falls for, I think Ashley's thing, and where he's like talking about the waitress's tits, and he's like, "I'll get a pair of coffee." I'll have a pair of coffee. Yeah, uh, th- that's that's sort of the the stinger line on the scene. Uh, and yeah, he just has a really weird interaction with the girl uh, th- who's there to interview him for something. I don't really get what their relationship is. Cause she's like, uh, you practically raped me last night. And he says, that was last night, baby. This is oh, very yeah, weird. Right. Yeah. yeah very this strange conversation scene. is all of the seats with the sportscasters are like, I don't like any of this and it's weird. And I don't think it adds anything to the movie. <laughs> Like none just, of the jokes are any good. No, they're bad, and they're it's like super happy. Let's just say, let's just find something offensive to say 
but not clever and definitely not funny. Right. But more importantly, Seth is also at a table. Uh, Seth, played by Rodrigo Obregón, he's also a regular in the series, even though uh, Seth himself obviously will not be coming back unless he's he is. Jason Voorhees. <laughs> and maybe he will come back with the power of snake bite venom. Maybe. maybe Toxic he'll come snake back. bite venom. Uh, Rodrigo Obregon as Venom. <laughs> Venom, Venom, three. Venom, 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 Venom. I don't uh, know the song. It's, it's bad. Don't. <laughs> don't, 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 don't find out. It's terrible. Uh, but so like he he's at a table, but he looks outside and sees his two wounded idiot underlings heading up there. So he goes out to get the bad news. And they yeah. tell them how he how they failed, and he's like, "I want you to get someone else to deal with it. You are too <laughs> stupid to do it. I don't even care. Just hire someone else. Subcontract this out. I don't trust you. Do it yourselves." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, earring still basically has a ninja star sticking out of his chest, and well, will just for got, the rest of the movie. He doesn't like. She took the ninja star back. He's just got yeah, a bad wound. The, yeah, which he won't get checked out ever. Of course not. He's, he's got a lot of stuff. Always just to gonna do. have his hand on his chest there but for the rest of the movie. Us, to remind to us. To remind us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and we cut to Turin and Donna. Checking out the diamonds. Well, of course they're topless in the jacuzzi. In the jacuzzi, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they they said that's where they do their best thinking, so that's where we're gonna have the exposition take place. I think this is the ultimate version of the Andy Sedaris boobs plus uh, <laughs> <laughs> exposition. Like we uh, we yeah. have some necessary exposition, so how about everyone gets their breasts out? Why not? <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, anyway, so I don't remember what they said, so I hope like what any of the exposition is because boobs so i hope you wrote something down it's really just like wow these are diamonds and then parallel to that we get the the male bonding of oh (laughs) yeah jade and rowdy um they're they're practicing martial arts on the deck of the malibu express are we sure that jade isn't the green ranger I'm not sure. <laughs> this, is, this is a guy named Harold Diamond, and he is a real-life kickboxer. Okay, then he's probably not the Green Ranger. This is, like, a good five years before, maybe even longer. Because, like, Power Rangers, that's, like, 93-ish? Or uh, in that neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, Rowdy doing his, these hands are lethal weapons. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do the whole... <laughs> Every, like, martial arts dude bro thing you can think of, these guys bang it out in, like, 30 seconds. A whole bunch of Bruce Lee impressions, of course. Oh, yes, Kimosabe. Uh, and then a, a motorcycle sandwich delivery shows up. <laughs> uh, and apparently the guy playing the, the sandwich delivery guy, that's uh, Andy Sedaris's son. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's just a Get Smart-esque secret spy message that <laughs> has to self-destruct. Yeah, and it's funny. It's like, Jade is like, oh, man, I'm hungry. And it's like, that's a perfectly, well, I wouldn't say perfectly good, but that's a serviceable sandwich right it's there. It's still a sandwich, but, like, they're really picky because they're fitness guys. Oh, yeah, right. Because they're dude bros. Yeah. 
Right, right. You can't eat that. Because I, I think he's in like, oh, I couldn't have been some udon noodles or something. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, but yeah, they they have to. I, 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 we don't really even get an idea of what the spy message is. Just that they have to go to deal with. It's basically the same thing that the girls have accidentally stumbled into. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I think the girls were getting the message to Edie to get the message to Rowdy. I guess so. something like that. I don't know that their their organization doesn't make sense to me because it they act like it's this whole big thing, but it feels like it's four people. Well, yeah, it, it's it's played like the James Bond MI6, where you have this ring of little spy networks and you have to pass all of these things along a chain. But it doesn't really seem at all accurate to how these people operate or anything. They just no, seem to be these independent weird agents. Yeah, from some agency. Actually, yeah, I think that's it. They just call it the agency. The agency. Well, and I, I feel like they're it's similar to something like uh what what was the organization pre-cia where they were just a oh, whole bunch OSS. of rogue weird yeah this feels like the oss that they belong to kind of uh so we we see that Tyrin has malibu express and seven posters <laughs> oh man the seven poster with freaking um uh What's his name? Drew Sevenel. Yeah, Drew Sevenel with the gigantic bulging muscles that he absolutely does not have in the movie. And it's the German poster, so it's seven super profits. (laughs) (laughs) And they make a joke about it, and she's like, yeah, I collect these. Yeah, and they're like, we don't hear from Cody since he left the agency to become an actor. Because obviously it's him on the poster of uh, Malibu Express. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, so that's Cody is written out because he's an actor now, and that that's fine. Even though I guess he decided to not be an actor in reality. <laughs> oh, is that? Did he just decide he didn't want to act anymore? Is that what? I mean, I don't know. Presumably, because I, I he he seemed to be really good in it. I I don't think there there's certainly nothing mentioned in the commentary with him being difficult. They just he's not in the rest of them. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Because he's like he's him. so great, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a really weird exchange about Rowdy with the the four inches thing. Oh yeah, it's like, no, no, Rowdy's great. He's got four inches. Four inches. That's it. Well, I measured from the bottom up. I measured from the ground up. <laughs> oh, you. And Turin stashes the diamonds in the freezer. And then immediately they're attacked. Someone snips the phone line. (laughs) Uh, So Turin is at first attacked by a guy in a stocking mask with nunchucks. And I wonder if they are hers, that he just like grabbed hers on the way in. And there's just her nunchucks that we see a few times. I feel like they wouldn't be because the girl who's with them is a nunchuck. She's a nunchuck person. So she would have her own nunchucks. But I don't feel like she would have lent them to this guy. Yeah, come, so I maybe it is Rose who gets her first because it goes back and forth a bit because there's the two thugs here. We've got Rose and Chemo, but Chemo is 
nondescript. I don't really know what happens with him in the movie. And yeah. Rose just has that one other part later that's really strange that I'll talk about when we get to it. But it's weird that we never get a scene where Turin and Rose have a nunchuck fight if they're the two nunchuck people. No. Maybe <laughs> maybe Taryn wasn't actually good at nunchucks. <laughs> maybe, but she did enjoy swinging them around. Yeah, but nunchucks are hard. Nunchucks are very hard. They I, look... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, oh, Michelangelo yeah, everyone... made that shit look so easy. It's not. No, because like everybody at that age around that time had like their own homemade nunchucks and y'all learned one way or the other that they're oh, difficult yeah. to use. If you were smart, you had like foam nunchucks or like nerf padding around it, but I wasn't. A good uh, chain and solid oak. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, those things. You get walled by them a couple times. Yep. yep. So, so Donna realizes that the phone's been cut because she's trying to phone and like in all this time, they have not managed to uh, get a call from Dixon, I guess. Oh, yeah, right. Because he's still trying to get in touch with them. But now they're their landlines down. Right. Like we, we do get a few more cuts of him trying to get get hold of them for a bit yet. But he hasn't. Uh, and he's like in contact with the Department of Health and stuff, too, and like berating his guys and everything. He's doing everything except for going over to the place where he knows that they live and telling them in person that they have a contaminated poisonous death snake. I mean, it's a really good chair. He's got a chair and he's got a desk. He worked and hard I don't for know. that desk. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not giving up that desk. I'm not going to fly to another island to tell people about a snake. I'm going to have oh. to go to where the snake is. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It, it, it is on another island. That's a good point. You, I guess it's not just a quick drive. Right. You can have to, to take a plane to, to tell them about this. And he can call them on their plane. Yeah, so why should he take his own? Because he does ultimately get a hold of them on the plane. Yes, eventually. Like, not for a long-ass time still. No, a little while yet. So Donna, she realizes the phone's been cut, so she knows something's up. Uh, but then she gets attacked. And the guy's looking for diamonds. So here it's definitely the guy. So I guess it has to be Rose who has Turin. And ha that makes sense because she was the one with the nunchucks. Yeah, yeah, that, that would make sense. Uh, so, so, yeah, Donna thinking quickly, smart move, is like, oh, they're in the garage. Let's go. Yeah, we'll, we'll just go find them in the hangar. Uh, but, of course, that's a ruse and she knocks him over in the dark. And, of course, the snake crate is in the hangar, and it gets toppled and damaged in the scuffle. So the snake gets out. Snake the puppet snake reacts. The snake is out! Yes, <laughs> yes, the snake is free. Uh, and so, so the, the lady in the stocking mask has Turin, and she, like, has a gun to her head. So she does get her to reveal that the diamonds are in the freezer. Yeah. So they get the first box. Yeah, but, still nobody knows where the second one is because well, I made a chart to keep track of the diet or nobody else knows, I should say. Right. Taryn knows. Taryn knows. Uh, I did make a chart to keep track of where uh, the diamonds were, but that was even less necessary than the snake thing. Yeah, they, they don't move. They just one stay where they are. diamond does not move. So like they, they are in the living room and everyone meets up. The robbers have the diamonds. They have weapons. Uh, they have both girls in custody. Like, they're struggling a bit, but they're really on top of the situation. But they're yeah. like, we can't kill them because we don't know where the other half of the diamonds are. 
and Kimo has this very badly delivered line that kind of gives me a chuckle. <laughs> you'll tell us or you'll wish you were dead for release. <laughs> <laughs> I better add that in because otherwise there might be some confusion like because you know when you think about it like what kind of reason why would somebody wish they were dead like it doesn't make sense unless unless you clarify it's it's the pregnant pause and then just the really flat delivery of for release <laughs> it really kills me none of his lines are good I mean, I think that's the only one that really stuck out to me, but that one, oh, yeah, yes, another one where he like trips over a manhole or something. He's like, oh, oh yeah, or or something that's like right. that. It's it's when he trips over the the cover to the septic tank or to the septic system. Yeah, um, it's okay. I'll be right there, guys. Uh, nothing because. <laughs> yeah, outside seth sees the snake and he freaks out <laughs> oh dude this guy does not like snakes this, this is the beginning 20 or 30 feet away behind the plane and he starts shooting at it and screaming <laughs> this is the beginning of a coyote roadrunner relationship between these two that that seth does not realize he's a part of He's he's so terrified by the snake that like it's the so thugs, far away. Yeah, that the thugs who they have the girls in custody, they have the weapons, they've got everything in control, but they hear him screaming, so they have to leave in concern <laughs> for what's happening to Seth. Well, yeah, because it might be more agents. That would be terrible. You got to check that shit out. It's but not it's more snakes. agents. It's a snake. <laughs> So the yeah the the one the one thug trips over the septic lid, uh, so the snake can get into it later, of course. Yeah. Uh, but much later, that, that's much like later, a ticking actually. time bomb. They really leave because we don't hear about the snake for quite a while here after this first next little bit. He does kill the honeymooners. Oh yeah, that's right. We have and that. That's that's in it. between. That's right. We have this open for so long that he doesn't get into it for like another day. Yeah, uh, like like we have a lingering shot on the manhole, and and you see the snake is like, oh man, this is how the snake's gonna get away. But no, the snake doesn't get away. He's just hanging out. Yeah, I mean that snake. It's it's like the alligator and alligator. It, it knows what would most be dramatically engaging for it to show up, and it really knows how to make an entrance. Oh, oh does it ever? <laughs> it shows up with fireworks oh man i can't wait till we get to that <laughs> so uh they're they're getting away but donna comes out with a gun because they've just like totally whizzed this down their legs after uh <laughs> seth started screaming and, yeah. and donna shoots seth in the face in he, the he gets, face it's a graze but it is funny that he gets shot in the face uh, the first of many Seth injuries. Oh, uh, Seth is Donna. Yeah, Seth is like Rasputin. He's he's just like working his way towards death the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, and this is where Dixon is finally able to get through on the plane's radio, and they've discovered that the snake has gotten loose, but they don't know where it is yet. And he has this great line. It's infected by deadly toxins from cancer-infested rats. 
<laughs> it will kill anything it sees. Anybody it comes in contact with. Yeah. Uh, and it's question mark. It's from the Department of Health. I don't know what purpose uh, it's meant to serve or who it's supposed to be sent to. Um. Uh, yeah. Huh? <laughs> no idea. We know that it's just horribly infested, but I have no idea why it was being shipped somewhere instead of being destroyed. Yeah, why but, did they take it to Hawaii? Does Hawaii have the expert cancer snake research institute? Well, it's like I was theorizing when you were watching it earlier and we were talking about it, that it's it was bound for the shop. And just like things didn't work out that way. It was supposed to go to the shop from Firestarter and they were going to. Oh, my God. And that's why the snake can do the. OK. Yeah, okay. it's well, it's, we'll a fire starter. it's a Firestarter. It's a twisted Firestarter. <laughs> it's a snake. It can get twisted. Yeah. Uh, so he we doesn't, have a, but he can. He doesn't. We we have a, a, a bonding scene where Taryn and Donna hang out in wicker chairs and. We learned that Dawn is a second generation secret agent because her dad died saving her life, which uh, is a dramatic story that we don't get. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I forgot about that already. <laughs> yeah. It's just more just them hanging out in wicker chairs and bonding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they go to Edie's. They're swarthily greeted by Ashley. And then he's, you know, shooed away and they go to meet with Edie. Um, the... Every time at the, we also, I don't know if it's here or later or earlier, but we briefly meet the bartender, Michelle. That is here where we first meet Michelle. Okay. Um, Played by Michael Andrews, who was (laughs) Stuart in Malibu Express. Oh, yeah. And he did the same thing, didn't he? Indeed. Yeah. This was his thing pulls it off man. oh yeah totally Sad. like so he uh, is michelle the bartender he's in he's undercover for the the thugs he's in league with rose and chemo uh-huh. uh but like so they they meet with Edie, and donna tells about the diamonds he's like also i just shot seth in the face <laughs> <laughs> and she's listening in and she also has like right. this whole wiretap on the phone thing going on Right, very important. Like, she's got uh, a bug, and she's just sort of always getting what's going on here. It's much like in Malibu Express, where we're always aware of everybody who knows everything, because we always have someone who is set in place to hear things and then communicate it. He's entered the hotel. He's left the hotel. He came back into the hotel. Now he's going out of the hotel again. Here, Michelle is basically serving that purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we also see some more of the annoying sportscaster jock stuff. There's these. This is where we have the three jock meatheads talking about supplements. Yeah, they're talking about supplements. Well, one guy's talking one about guy. supplements and the other two are just kind of just watching them and not really reacting at all. And you kind of get the feeling that I, I was waiting for it to be a he just sat down at the wrong table joke and started talking to the wrong people joke. It's weird because it's supposed to be a comedic monologue about these supplements being very absurd, but it's so tame by today's standards 
that it, it just doesn't, doesn't read, read. His satire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. reads as this guy likes his supplements. Yeah, and it's like and not I even don't know. like he likes you his go supplements on. a little too much. Just he likes his supplements. Yeah, he likes his supplements. It, it it's so pale in comparison to anyone's routine on like any bodybuilding forum. Yeah, so he, it's just like huh, he likes his supplements right. a normal sane amount. Yeah. Uh, again, no Buffingtons. So uh, in Edie, Edie's office. Uh, everyone conference calls. We have Edie, we have Donna, we have Taryn, and they conference with the boys, Jade and uh, Rowdy. And right. from the, them, they the learn heroes. about the dead cops. Yeah, we, we've got all the heroes in a yeah. conference call. Uh, and uh, the girls learn about the dead cops. Uh, the guys learn about the diamonds and Seth and everything. So everyone's in the loop, including Michelle. Because yeah. she's got a bug on the phone system, can listen through on her earpiece. And so she can t- report to Seth. Yeah, exactly. So she she's reporting that back to Seth and uh, the thugs. And the thugs were hired by Earring and Skater after they blew it. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So, so these are subcontracted thugs. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because Michelle was obviously already long in place. Yeah, Michelle must have been there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rose, I think, lasts longer than any of them. So, well, uh, Rose and Earring go out the and, same oh, way. Yeah. But, like, yeah. so the uh, the boys are like, okay, we want you, uh, Donna and Taryn, to go check out Seth's beach house and, and get some footage and reconnoiter so we, we will know what's going on there. Uh and we see Seth just seething over his gunshot graze and how he's going to get revenge on it or for it. Uh, oh, he's so mad about this, but when he actually tries to take his revenge, he always just looks so pathetic. My beautiful face. <laughs> uh, uh, so we, we get another thing with Andy. Uh, we, we have Taryn meeting Andy and his protege, uh, Jimmy John Jackson. Jim, it's just one of those names. Like that's just the perfect name for this kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I I really like Taryn just showing up and saying, "Hey, Whitey." It's like either she knows the character or she recognizes his type. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Whitey. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. She knew that that's the nickname I would have gone with. Yeah. So we we have a makeout scene with Taryn and uh, Jimmy John on a beach. That you know, nude, mostly oh, nude yeah, makeout right. scene. Oh yeah, right. This. <laughs> this just interspersed in the middle of nothing else. Yeah, we. I mean, you got to throw one in there somewhere. Oh yeah, it's, it's you know, happening for like and a surf. whole day because we see like it's light and then it's dark and she's, well, yeah, yeah, and she's then, doing this for a whole day. Because the guys fly in with their two trunks of weapons. That's the next thing that happens. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just like got to be like a day later. Um, and on the road, they are attacked by Skater. Okay, so this scene. Um, every time Skater in these movies tries to actually fight anybody on his skateboard on the road, it doesn't go good for him. No, it's really not an effective tool for that. Which is weird, because in the first movie, he was like the main thug, the one with the highest kill count. He was the top hitman, and he has yeah. some actually pretty impressive ones. He doesn't pull off anything all that impressive in this one. He just pull, I don't know what he's even going for here. Well, perhaps 
as Rowdy suggests, when he's skateboarding on his hands towards them, man, he must be smoking some heavy doobies. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> so he, he so. skates. He's he's on his hands skateboarding like he he's uh, yeah upside like, like down. handstand skateboarding by them as they're driving down the road. And I don't get why he would do this to start with, because he just skates by them and makes them realize he's there. See, I think now that I'm not saying this is a good plan, but I think his goal was to make them think he was just some shitty stoner skateboarder so that they I guess so. didn't suspect him of anything, but yeah, it would that... be better if they didn't see anyone at all. Right, because like, he just goes past them. Like they're, they're going one direction, he goes the other direction, and he meets up with Earring, who's in a tiny little pickup at the bottom <laughs> of the hill with a blow-up doll. <laughs> the blow-up doll is... Okay, so yeah, he takes... He takes the blow-up doll and the gun from Earring. Yeah, a shotgun. He's hiding the shotgun behind the blow-up doll. Which, but, like, he, he doesn't take them from him. He gets in the car, and he drives him around oh, yeah, drives again him in up. front of them <laughs> so he can go past them again. <laughs> right. That's the part. That's why I think it's really weird that it have this part with him going past them and then them racing past them again and then him coming back again. Like, it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. He picks him up, gives him a lift to the top of the hill and then drops him off again with the blow up doll. So he's, you know, skating at them with the blow up doll with the shotgun and he shoots and he he uh, shoots the Jeep a little bit and. Uh, Jade gets shot in the shoulder, the left shoulder. Kind of the same place where Earring got his uh, ninja star. Mm-hmm. But Jade can take it. Jade doesn't need to even really worry about anything. He's going to seek medical treatment anyway because he don't want to get gangrene, but he's strong enough. Yeah, well, he, uh, you know, he does know. that tough guy thing where he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling too great. I've been feeling better, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but most importantly <laughs> the most they, important part of this whole scene so they they throw the jeep into reverse and they hit skater at high speed he's flung 60 feet into the air so we see nothing around him but blue sky just blue sky and him like flying through the air and then he he looks like he's been given an upper punch in a cartoon and he's just like up in the air like both hands back just like like a comma. Oh yeah, like like uh, like all the Popeye fights before he eats the spinach. Yeah, and Rowdy pulls out <laughs> a rocket launcher, <laughs> and he fucking turns him to mulch. It's like he's got hit with the RPG in Doom. Yeah, he explodes <laughs> him, and then he shoots another one and explodes the blow-up doll. And and Jade's like. The bazooka rowdy. <laughs> I can't hit Are a moving kidding? target with anything else. Yeah, it's the only gun I can hit a moving target with. <laughs> Which I wish we had seen some more of that in action. More of him not hitting things with the gun. I'm glad that we do at least get one good scene of it though. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes, yes. A little bit later. Yeah. Uh but yeah, here they're like Did you get the skateboard? I guess I let it get away. And we have a shot of it just rolling on down the road alone. 
<laughs> Even if you're not gonna like watch this movie, look up this scene this on YouTube. Scene. Fine art. It's so it's good. so good. Um, maybe not even the best part of the movie, but it's real good. It's so good. It's it's my favorite death for sure. Cause it like just the way he just disintegrates. Like I I I don't know what they used. I think it's like maybe they used flash paper and styrofoam or something that burns really fast. Cause he just like literally you, you see him just melt to nothing in the sky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, we, we see the honeymooners taking some beauty pics and getting puppet snaked. Yep. They, <laughs> that's right. They get snaked while they're doing this, you know, they're doing the whole thing. Like, Oh yeah, like oh pose this way, pose that way. Ah, snake. Yeah, and of course they get a couple pictures of the snake while they're being killed, so that that can be discovered later on. It's a pretty good shot of the snake, all things considered. Much like in it's Alligator. A, yeah, it's a good profile. Uh, I I do feel like Alligator probably had some influence on this. <laughs> Maybe. How how big? was alligator i don't remember like i think alligator was quite successful back in 1980 uh okay. i mean it it was successful enough to get a sequel true enough so uh rowdy calls edie from the hospital where they've they've gone with uh, to so jade get patched up and he fills her in on everything and also michelle is filled on everything because obviously yeah. michelle's listening in uh and their jeep broke down after being shot so Edie has to go pick them up oh yeah she never gets there though right we have an incredibly excessive nude scene to so Edie can change out of her hostess uniform into her very tight pants and very cropped top oh yeah <laughs> this um this top that would just if she lifted her arms up they, it would just fly off yeah uh and Michelle calls Rose and Chemo the thugs uh, who attacked Don and Terrence. And now we know they're all in league because yeah. we've just kind of seen Michelle in the background and seen her listening, but never actually uh, seen who exactly she's working with. Yeah, well, there's only one group it could be. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's only one group of bad guys. They're they're yeah. all just a, an organization. The bad guys of Hawaii. <clears throat> right. Uh, so uh, Michelle goes back into the break room and we have a waitress named Patty who advises on some breast or size. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So another, you know, excessive nude scene. Uh, I like the line. She says uh, something like a healthy mind and a healthy body is the key to success or something like that. Right. Yeah. And, and Michelle says, well, you're halfway there. Mm hmm. It's such a good. It's so good. And and Patty leaves and she uh, transforms into Michael because gonna have to deal with these normie thugs can't yeah. really do the the work persona anymore I guess guess not <laughs> well, she, uh, well he might get recognized by oh yeah the yeah exactly well he does actually I don't yeah still is Which recognized makes by no the sense, heroes but I I feel like it's not even going into disguise here it's like uh. Having to uh, go in disguise to deal with the thugs who are strictly oh, normal. Oh, so, so that's the the disguise. Okay, you know <laughs> what? I'm with you. I I see it. I see it. I believe that this is the case. 
Yeah, so uh, they all get in their van and they chase down Edie. They run her off the road and abduct her. So she doesn't get to pick up the the guys. They're stuck at the hospital still. Yeah. Uh, back at their house, Donna and Taryn are watching and videotaping this lady playing frisbee with shades. Uh, he's really into it, but he still doesn't put down his machine gun. I don't know why you'd want to go play frisbee with the guy with the machine gun, though. Yeah, see, the relationship with between Shades and this girl makes absolutely no sense. It's a little unless odd. The, the only way it works is if the girl is also one of the thugs, but she's not. She's not. She's just some random local. Random local <laughs> who apparently is unaware of the crime ring and doesn't seem to pick up the red flag that shades is wearing on his shoulder a machine gun yeah it's it's very strange i I don't know what but like we never get any dialogue with her she just is there to play frisbee yeah she's there to play frisbee and to introduce another frisbee player later on right uh so we see a helicopter a real helicopter this time flying into the compound uh seth is on it and the thugs meet it and they have Edie, so Donna and Turin see that they have Edie. So again, we are made clear that everyone knows what's going on and everyone has seen what's happening with everyone. I really like this about the Andy Sedaris films is they're very clear about sight lines, you know? <laughs> yeah, yes, actually. Yeah. We we always understand who knows about what. <laughs> and their phone is still out, so they drive to a sumo wrestling ring for some reason nearby. Yeah! They drive to, I had the impression that they just drove to, like, the first house they could find. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's a sumo thing, and Taryn's trying to uh, seduce the sumo guys in order for them to let her use the phone. Well, Donna just goes back and takes the phone. I feel like it's just shtick. She's just, like, talking gibberish to these two completely stone-faced sumo uh, it's kind of bad. <laughs> you know, she's she thinks she's in a James, or she's choosing that's true. to yeah. act as though she's in a James Bond movie. True, true. So that's her doing that, and Donna gets a hold of Ashley uh, because she's looking for Rowdy and Jade this time. Yeah. Uh, and she's already recognized through the binoculars that Michelle is one of the thugs. Because she sees the pinky ring. Right. Binoculars and is able to identify it. I remember it from the time she saw a similar pinky ring on a random bartender at the bar she went to. I guess. Well, I I guess she's probably a regular at 80s. So maybe she's just. Well, yeah, she would be. You're right. She would be. Uh, But she doesn't tell Ashley about it. She does tell Taryn. And they go to figure out or they, they go to pick up the honeymooners. Uh, oh yeah, here's <laughs> uh, here's where we find out the snake doesn't actually eat its kills. It just shreds them a bit. Yeah, which is not a snake thing. No, I mean it's it's a contaminated snake thing. It's a shop snake thing. Mm, yes. Uh, it, it fire started them. Uh, it it just blew them all up. They're all wrecked up. They're destroyed by the snake. <laughs> oh yeah, th- their corpses are mangled. Yeah. Like, like they they did the girl's corpse, and I thought it was the guy's corpse. That's how mangled these are. 
Yeah, and Turner and Ashley's like, oh my god, oh, it's so horrible. Uh, and they find the camera, and you know, it develops all of a sudden because, like, it, it was like a, it's a Polaroid, but it was stuck. So she picks it up, and it comes out, and it develops, and it's the snake. This <laughs> is really fun. Give it, it like work one of its way, reaction it's faces. Yeah. Like, hey, uh, I'm a snake. Classic. Ah, I'm a puppet snake. Uh, we we get another really tedious sportscaster thing. They do a an interview that go, goes badly because oh, the athlete's really, Yeah. He's ruined, I guess, and I don't but care. But except it's not ruined because there was a delay in the live feed. And so like, now he's got to cover a golf thing. And he has a bad like, joke about that. And, and, yeah. and none of our none of our actual characters are even in this scene. Yeah, and like. It has nothing to do with anything. It is in the middle of rising action. It's like, what is the point of this? This terrible shtick. Yeah. What is this ad? <laughs> it feels like an ad. <laughs> oh, it's, it's bad, yeah. So Jade and Rowdy arrive at Edie's. They've, they've walked there, uh, or I guess, or maybe they've gotten a cab or something. They, they pushed they the Jeep. They said they're going to hitchhike or something. It doesn't matter. I guess because they've got their big trunks of guns with them. Yeah, they found somehow to get there. Right, and Ashley has received the call, so he tells them Donna's called, so they take his car. This is the only useful thing he ever does. They take his oh, car. Oh yeah, he doesn't even do it though. <laughs> they they're like, we're right. gonna steal your car. He's like, oh, put some gas in like, it, yeah. please. No, it would be nice if you put some gas, some petrol in it. Yeah, <laughs> I hope and they so- didn't. Oh, I don't imagine they did. So uh, everyone gets together at the girls' house. They all gear up. We we see the huge arsenal of weapons they have prepared for the assault tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but we also cut to the bad guys and Edie. Uh, oh, not quite yet. Oh, no, not but, yet. So, so first, uh, they we find that the phone has been fixed, and they hear from Dixon. Uh, oh, yeah, so he finally gets in touch with them. This is the second time. Because yeah, he, he got a hold of them on the plane earlier, where he he said that uh, oh yeah right right the thing about the the cancer infested rats. Uh, it, this time it's the snake's own toxins will kill it within thirty six hours. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, cool. Won't have cool, to worry good. about that anymore. Yeah, although we also in, in the same sequence see it get into the septic system finally. Finally, uh, that ticking clock. <clears throat> from like an hour ago uh and donna and rowdy pair up to go have sex and jade is really obnoxious about drinking vodka he oh, has like yeah. this whole thing about this is the way i drink like a man so uh just sit back and watch you know it's like shut up shut up you idiot <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they decide they're going to go rescue Edie the next day, but, like, these sex cuts are interspersed with cuts of Edie being, like, tortured. Well, first, we we get a cut to the other house, and it's totally out of context because it's Rose. And I didn't even realize it was Rose because I hadn't seen her without a stocking cap on before. Right. She's just, like, she's just this hot muscle lady. Oh, oh, God. Oh, my God. How did I forget this scene existed the last few times I watched it? This is like... It's so strange. <laughs> oh, my, man, I don't... This, 
I don't know what this scene is doing here, but I'll take it. It's it's quite interesting. So she's posing in this red lit room in front of a rock wall with her nunchucks and just doing all these poses. And that's all we get. And it cuts and, back to the other people and is like, that's strange. I don't know what well, that's about. It but, will turn out that she's doing this in front of Edie, who is tied up. <laughs> yeah, and then like she actually it later on she like smacks Edie with the nunchuck and the and we get a smash cut to um, I think Donna like orgasm screaming for the No, not Donna. It, it or, is not or Donna. We'll we'll get to that. Or, okay, all right. All right. Uh, so uh, Rowdy is reviewing the tape first. They're they're they haven't paired up. They haven't started getting it on yet. And they're they're looking at the tape that uh, Donna and Turin uh, recorded. Oh, the, the shades tape with right. the frisbee. Yeah. And Rowdy says the immortal line: "The guard's name is Shades." <laughs> <laughs> this is his best line. Uh, just that that's actually supposed to be his name like that he actually says the words the guard's name is shades it's incredible I just imagine it. <laughs> this kid being bored in the hospital and it's like what are you gonna name the kid and the mom just pulls off aviators from her own face and puts it on the baby's face and says shades shades, shades smith no shades yeah, so Rowdy and Donna then start to get it on, and we cut back to the the bad guy's house and reveal, yeah. like, we, we pan around and reveal that Rose was just doing this in front of the whole gang, but especially Edie, who's sort of loosely tied up on a platform. It's like a stage. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a weird setup they've got. And she, for... like... Yeah, she she tells everyone to leave. It's like, I'll take care of her. Uh, and it's like, is it going to be sexy? <laughs> I kind of got the impression that it yeah. might be. Because I, I kind of had like this... I was just sort of thinking back to that bitten female prisoner scorpion. Exactly. Where like... <laughs> Like the one woman's in the prison cell with her to get information and that she just sexes that woman so good that she can't think of anything else in the rest of her life. Right. It, Which, it does kind of seem like that. It's, it seems it's, like that might be where this is going, but it doesn't. But it gets cut and we don't really see any more of it here. But as you said, it smash cuts to someone orgasming loudly, but it is yeah. not one of the girls. It's Rowdy. Oh, Right. Remember, it's Rowdy going, oh, oh, and like Taryn, yeah, or not Taryn, like Donna is like. she gets smacked in the face yeah. with a nunchuck, it's so. Right. but <laughs> These guys are having sex while the person they're supposed to rescue is being beaten the shit up. I, I just oh well. love oh well. both that Rowdy <laughs> is loudly orgasming and yep. it's annoying everyone because like oh. we see. We, we see Taryn and Jade both like, sounds like someone's having a good time. And it cuts to Don is like, Rowdy, you want to hold it down a little bit? <laughs> He's like, no, I like it like that. <laughs> uh, I need Jade to know when I'm having sex, because otherwise he might think I'm not. And then. He might think he can get one over on me. He might say, bro, you didn't have sex. I don't so know. I think I it's all part this. of their game. Oh, it's all totally part of their game. They're, 
they're they're all having fun. Uh, so Seth calls Mr. Chang, who is very mad. This is where we see his bodyguard the first time just lurking in the background. Mr. Chang's bodyguard is the most <laughs> intense freaking giant muscle meat man. And we'll learn later in his uh, only actual scene that he's called Destroyer. <laughs> he is called Destroyer. Um, even when nobody's in the office, he is like angrily cracking its knuckles like he is going to fight who? the person he's looking at but he's not looking at anyone just when chang is on the phone with seth <laughs> <laughs> yeah like he's trying to intimidate him through the phone and uh i mean mr chang is intimidating enough on his own and he's like i want you to kill them all well yeah i mean he's he's one of those villains well yeah of course he he's a bond villain basically he they, they are bond doing villain. kind of a bond thing yeah, he, I mean, he controls the drone helicopter. True. Uh, with his uh, with his cane. Yeah. Which is not a modern thing. Or they would just, you know, use an actual. But yeah, that that's a Bond thing. Oh yeah, for sure. So we we cut to the next morning. We have Rowdy surfing in to play frisbee with Shades and the girl. <laughs> he he takes a surfboard in. I like that. That's fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> um. He meets this girl. It's like, hey, you want to introduce me to the Frisbee assault rifle guy over there? Yeah, okay. He's nice. Yeah, it's like, it's weird because Shade seems to take, and, and he calls it throwing. He, 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 <laughs> he seems to take throw. it very seriously. Oh, it seems, sounds like you're a real thrower. <laughs> <laughs> and Shade's doesn't. It never occurs to him that either of these people might be trying to infiltrate the thing he's guarding. Yeah, it's weird because, like, you know, when he sees that Rowdy is, like, a real thrower, he goes and takes the gun off and puts it down so he can really get into some frisbee. <laughs> it's like, all right, now it's time to, now it's time to, be, to get serious. The gloves are off. The gun is off. And Rowdy tells the girl to leave as he's putting the gun down and uh, he switches the Frisbee out and he's got a couple ones. He's got a real one, a normal one, and then he's got a razor blade Frisbee that he's prepared. <laughs> this razor blade Frisbee would suck to be hit by, but it wouldn't do what it does. It might but do, I don't care. It might do the, so, I mean, it. It takes off all his fingers. It takes off <laughs> all of his fingers and, and then, then gets stuck in his neck. Just lodges in his neck. And I could kind of see that happening. I mean, a, a razor blade uh, will will do you pretty bad. It's got to cut through a lot of bone, though. Yeah, I so, so, so. I mean, he's throwing it pretty hard. Rowdy's a tough guy. Oh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, I don't know what kind of force you need. Fingers are kind of delicate. He might be on that guy's gym supplements. He might be. Uh, and Donna flies in on a hang glider. Everyone oh, else yeah. is coming in on Jeep. They're, they're, it's <laughs> kind of a full assault. Donna's dropping grenades on them from above. Yep, yep. Final battle time, the commando scene. Except it's one of several final battles. Yeah, we got a few here. And this is where we have that scene of rowdy shooting unsuccessfully he takes aim and shoots six times and misses <laughs> six times until finally jade just pushes him out of the way and takes out the guard with a single shot and i guess this is chemo 
Oh yeah, right. Um, I guess this is how he bites it. He's just the guard outside. I never got that here. guy's name. I just called him Squinty. Yeah, I I just know it was Rose and Chemo because when Michelle called them, that was the names used. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but yeah, huge red blood spray. Yep. That guy's done. And then they go inside. Uh, Jade gets into a karate battle one-on-one with someone, so he gives the RPG to Rowdy, who obviously needs it. Yep. <laughs> uh, Taryn blows away Michael with the Uzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jade puts on some tiger claws and shreds up the guy he's fighting with. Oh yeah, and which he's is kind of like, fun. And he's doing the whole Wah! thing. Of course. <laughs> and and him like you know he looks directly at the camera when he slashes the throat and he's like, oh, I'm a real tough guy. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I can slash a dude's an unarmed dude's throat with these claws. Yeah. Uh, rowdy RPGs someone out a window. <laughs> and so finally you know they've they've rescued edie or jade gets to edie and he does some really tiresome ooh, kinky sex shtick because she's tied up by villains and it's like yo i was just you... being tortured all night long oh, was she was pretty king <laughs> <laughs> was it all night long was it all torture yeah we, i mean we haven't heard much about it we, but we don't really get a lot of details. I could imagine. No one mentions it. It feels like scenes that uh, are on the cutting room floor. But uh, Rosie and Earring uh, hop in the helicopter and try to escape. And Donna blows up the helicopter with the RPG. Kaboom! <laughs> Huge explosion. That's the end of them. That's uh, That seems like almost everybody. And they all line oh, up. Things yep. all kind <laughs> no, of feel they, they, wrapped up. It's like, oh, they wow. Got, Cool. Yeah, they got they got everyone. Uh, no one's coming after them. They rescued Edie. Hey, man, we, we did it. Let's go home. Yeah, and Donna, she takes the hang glider back to the house. Everybody else is like, well, these thugs don't need this van anymore. They're quite thoroughly dead and disintegrated. Uh, <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. And they're they're selling. They're celebrating and like talking about the battle. And they're like, well, they're hey. specifically talking about how bad Rowdy is at shooting. Jade is like, yeah. I can't believe this guy. He pulls out the gun, fires one, two, three, four, five, six bullets. <laughs> and I was like, and Edie's finally like, hey, who got that bastard Seth? <laughs> Smash cut to Van Tire screeching to a halt. <laughs> Cargo door opens. Rowdy peels out of there out of the back of the van on a dirt bike oh right it's the dirt bike from beginning from that uh skater was driving right maybe might have been because so it's weird though because they're they're not working like these are the guys they hired i don't know well it's all kind of been everybody's one group yeah everybody's sharing materials who all works for for chang it's a small independent production. <laughs> <laughs> that controls all of Hawaii. Uh, so Seth is, meanwhile, stalking Donna in their house. Uh, and he menaces her with a knife. And we have kind of an extended Halloween tribute. Oh, yeah. He does a very, uh, very wimpy Michael Myers impression. Right. We get the many deaths of Seth starting here because <laughs> Donna hides in a closet, Laurie Strode style. Uh, 
Yep, and he's trying to, with his knife, but he's got a pocket knife, break yeah. the break the the um, the boards of the door, the what do you call them things? The he's just, but when you see him, like when you see him do it, it's just like just the tiny little thing just pokes its way in a little bit, and he's just kind of like stabbing at it, like. Uh, uh, uh. Well, and like you know, with, with Michael Myers. Yeah, with, with Michael Myers, you have him getting taken out with uh, just, uh, you know, he gets stat- poked in the eye with uh, something you would expect to find in a closet. It's a, yeah. clo- uh, a clothes so hanger. So I guess this is something you would expect to find in Donna's closet. It's a harpoon gun. She would have a harpoon gun. I suppose she would have a harpoon gun. Uh, and she gets him through the left shoulder with it, which is pretty yep. funny. And then she punches him a bunch of times. And ultimately she thinks he's dead and just leaves the knife. Just like Lori, just like Lori. And then she like, just, I, I don't know if Lori did it in that room, but she does that thing where she just like sits down and leans up against the wall. She's in the bathroom. And it's like, Oh, that was a fucked up thing. And I'm glad well, no. it's over. First she goes and gets some ice from the freezer Oh, right. And she like rubs some ice on her forehead and Seth sneaks up again and she battles him again and she makes him stab himself with the knife in the gut. And this is where (laughs) she badly cuts her own hand because she has to grab the knife. Oh, yeah, right. She has to grab the knife so he doesn't stab her. So so we still have to injure Seth more. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) death number two, he's he's stabbed himself in the gut. He falls to the floor. He's like, oh, my God. And she goes to the bathroom to deal with her wound. And she sits down next to the toilet. And there's this long, pensive scene of her reflecting. And she's, you know, wrapping up her wound. Yeah, that just that cool down relief that it's all over bit. And she reaches over and she drops like a bit of toilet paper in the toilet and she flushes it and kaboom, the t- snake flies out of the toilet and there's with explosions. fireworks. <laughs> the snake comes out with fireworks like he's a WWE superstar with like an entrance And it's like you've been waiting for this the whole time. And it's like, snake's coming. He's got a hard ticket to Hawaii. There's like pyrotechnics. It's a loud boom. It's hissing and growling. The toilet. the toilet just crumbles around him. Uh, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, Seth gets back up. <laughs> so he's been ste- he's been shot in the face, uh, stabbed in the gut. He has a harpoon inside him. Yeah, he still has the harpoon through his left shoulder through all of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Donna runs out and of the bathroom and dies. Like he's in so much pain. Oh yeah, he he looks completely messed up. Uh, uh, Donna runs out of the bathroom. She dives behind a bed, uh, so neither Seth sees, and she's away from the snake. And so Seth hears the disturbance in the bathroom, and he thinks it's Donna when because uh, the snake <laughs> is fighting itself in the bathroom mirror. <laughs> yeah, right, right, because. <laughs> And destroys yes. the bathroom mirror in the process, yeah. of course, because it's it, it destroys everything it touches. It's like uh, Dolph Lundgren and Rocky Three. Oh, uh-huh. well, yes. <laughs> no, Rocky Four, Four, Four. Uh, the one where he stops the Cold War. That's the one. Uh, so you know, Seth opens up the bathroom door, <laughs> and the snake bites him in the face, and he finally actually dies. For yep. real this time. <laughs> 
<laughs> so now the only no, it's not even the only bad guy left. We still have someone else. Oh, after we've got this, but we got to deal with the snake. Yeah, so it's menacing Donna, and she shoots it twice in the head with a pistol, a twenty-five. So it's like small Once, caliber. It doesn't can't do shooting anything. On its, it shoots out one of its teeth. That's a <laughs> tough shot to make. I guess so, but like she's shooting directly into its head, and yeah. it, it's not really doing much of anything. And then Rowdy comes flying through the wall on his motorbike with the RPG. <laughs> Yep, he freaking blows up the snake's head. And we just see the snake body without a head just fall to the floor. Flopping, bits of snake everywhere. Yeah. Very fake looking, but great. That's so good. And uh, so we go to the next day. We still have Mr. Chang to deal with. Oh, I forgot about him. <clears throat> Everybody forgot about him. Everybody. Motherfuckers act like they forgot about Chang. They did. And I, I really like uh, their uh, Donna's wrapping up brass knuckles in her uh, hand wound bandages when they're going <laughs> up to the office. Yeah. So Donna and Rowdy go up to the office. Uh, Taryn and Jade stay behind to watch the car in the parking lot, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. And they have to deal with Destroyer. Oh, um, that doesn't take long. <laughs> yeah, he's very easily defeated. Uh, uh, Donna has nunchucks. Or no, uh, Rowdy has nunchucks and Donna has brass knuckles and they both just like converge on him and he's defeated instantly. <laughs> they just knock him down and keep kicking and punching and kicking and punching him. And so It's like, like Chang, they jumped him. Yeah, Chang in the background is like, well, I better get my sword out. <laughs> Gets ready. And Rowdy's like, well, buddy, this is really stupid. He's like, I'd say it's all over. And he goes, in a pig's ass. <laughs> it's like, did he just say in a, in a, in a pig's ass? And uh, they both shoot. Uh, they both uh, pull, draw guns. And Donna's Terror, gun is much Donna's bigger. Is huge. It's a 45. <laughs> and obviously yeah. he can't shoot anyway. So she shoots. Uh, Chang is blasted backwards through the window on the top floor of this building. He we grabs the... like a flag on the way to hell. Oh yeah, it's a flag. We we see just the flying dummy out the window, and then it lands with a thud in front of Terran and Jade. <laughs> and finally, we have our denouement. On the Malibu Express. We gotta have our little Agatha Christie drawing room moment. <laughs> Let's wrap yep, everything yep. up again. Yep. So <laughs> uh so they never found the other diamonds. Well, Taryn says she knows where the other diamonds are. They they know that that's where they are, and they're saying, like, well, we had to report these and give them. It's like she's been looking into the law, and I'm going to keep it because I'm a private citizen and I'm the only one who knows where they are. But I'm going to share it with all of you, which kind of seems like maybe you'd just get arrested for. Yeah, see, <laughs> there's this that, whole... That probably doesn't work that way. I, yeah, her whole thing is, well, anyone who can identify the diamonds is dead, so I guess they belong to me. Uh, I, I feel uh, like there should be laws to prevent that. They they probably are stolen from somewhere because they're from a criminal organization, but I don't know. Uh, now Taryn gets them and all of these people get them. <laughs> I guess Woo, our good guys. Uh, so that is the end of hard ticket to Hawaii. And what a ride. It is not soft. 
It is a hard ticket. <laughs> like the, the violence is quite extreme at times and kind of really surprising ways considering how low brow and corny most of the jokes are and how silly it tends to be yeah yeah uh but yeah what what a blast uh this is replaced of course with the next film in the malibu bay series uh this is uh picasso trigger or spy shenanigans i think this one's more just straight spy stuff it does have donna and turin again right on uh, they're, I think they're dealing with a person who's hunting down spies. It's a spy hunter. So, any last thoughts on Hard Ticket before we move to our second film? Um, no, I think, I think I'm good. All right. Well, we'll head on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Across 110th Street. Another one where the uh, title song is real banger. The, yeah, and the the and is also the same as the title of the movie. Right, it's like an actual song, a theme song, a song about the movie. Uh-huh. Kind of the the actual main theme between these two is just they they both have really banger theme songs. Uh, this one is a 1972. Uh, kind of proto black exploitation film this is one of the ones that sort of it, it fits into that uh sort of genre that this is a very much about race tension in new york uh yep across 110th street this refers to the dividing line of race in new york basically uh where central park becomes harlem and somebody even has like this whole Lion King speech. It's like everything the light touches is yours. What about over there? That's Harlem. Oh, yeah. Black people there. Don't don't want to go there. That's not a good idea. So uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a a, a fundamental film. Uh, it's kind of surprisingly violent at times. It, right out the bat. Right off the bat, it gets pretty violent right at the beginning, and then I don't know. I feel like it kind of slows down until. But but we'll get to it. It's it's up and down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so we open up with uh, fancy crime guys getting together to do a fancy crime money counting thing. Uh, notably, one of them is uh, Uncle Polly, Bert Young. Oh. Okay. Cool. Uh, it, it's the only scene he's in. I was really kind of surprised. Like, oh shit! Hey, it's Uncle Polly. I, it'll be kind of fun to watch Bert Young do his thing in this. But this is bef- this is a few years before Rocky, so okay. uh, he he's he's only in the opening scene and he gets gunned down. He gets guns down. So as they're counting their money, um, the the criminal guys. This is important. There's two. I think it's two black and two white criminals, mm-hmm. or or three black, whatever, something like that. Um, two cops come in and go to bust up their shit. Cops. Cops with their people dressed uh, in heavy automatic weapons. Yeah, Uh, two two men in police uniforms. I mean, cops with heavy automatic weapons isn't really that weird, I guess. Um, And what they do is in 1972. Maybe, but what they do also isn't very uncop-like. I mean, yeah, per Serpico, this actually isn't that far off, Uh, but. Usually there wouldn't have been necessarily a bunch of violence. Uh, they so they're holding them up, 
these are just desperate local Harlem thugs who uh, gambled really wrong. Oh, they didn't do a smart. Well, because like it is, again, the symbolic cross 110th Street is that they're not only attacking higher power gangsters within their own community, they're attacking the Italian mafia. They're reaching across 110th Street to bring wrath down upon themselves. It doesn't end well for any of them. No, it it goes badly for so many people. It doesn't really end well for anyone. Nobody comes out on top. No. Nobody gets a good ending in this movie. Like, it has ramifications that, like, flex outward into the police and harm people there, too. It's uh, wild. Yeah, so um, these fake cops... uh, are like yeah they're they're emptying the they're they're emptying the table of money into the briefcase that's there as and, as seen on the poster of the film yep and the the gangsters are just looking at their guns on the table they just can't get out right. right now but the briefcase falls the gangster reaches for the gun and the one cop just mows them the fuck down they are not alive anymore he is too nervous and yeah he just like machine guns these seven guys i want to say i it ends up being seven is the final death okay. count i think because he he still has to shoot a couple of cops to escape right that is true yeah so um yeah they <laughs> they take what they can of the money and uh they they book it out of the building uh a couple other cops show up and they shoot them and then they get into a very not cop getaway car yeah, a, uh, a taxi painted like black. Um, right, and we've been seeing uh, cuts to this guy outside periodically. Yeah, through just this. looking him being the very nervous. The yeah. the taxi, the uh, fake taxi driver, and not fake taxi like uh, he has people inside and they they shoot pornos in the back seat or anything. <laughs> <laughs> this is the '70s version. You only need to do like another ten years down the line for that. Yeah, yeah. So he's so they get in the the fake cops get into the car. He tries. Um, it takes him a few attempts to get out because he's got to do the Austin Powers thing and try and do a three point turn. He gets blocked <laughs> by a street sweeper. Street sweeper. He's um, really failing to do a K turn. Like everything about this entire uh pl- th- this entire heist has gone stupidly wrong. They blew away all these guys and now they're comically being seen by people in oh, numerous yeah, people places are, like, pointing and looking like what's going on here because like they're driving like crazy people they keep coming to places where they can't get anywhere and they're like running <laughs> into a street sweeper and there's just people at a bus stop and they're like what are these idiots doing yeah yeah so, uh, yeah, the, the car stalls at one point, and he finally gets it started um, and runs over a cop uh, oh, yeah. to get away. One more. So that's like, yeah, so that's number seven. Okay, I could have sworn there were more dudes in the uh, the main meeting, but maybe um, I'm mistaken. What it was, it was, it was two white guys, two of... Two black guys, because because the old guy in the next scene actually spells it out. Two white guys, two black guys, 
two cops and then somebody else dies on the way to the hospital. Okay, I'm I'm actually I I've got it on Wikipedia. It says three black gangsters, two mob guys and two cops. So I guess okay. maybe they're not counting. Maybe the third cop is just hospitalized. I'm not sure. Maybe somebody got added to the death count later because they died on the way to the hospital. But I don't know okay. how that factors in. Well, maybe that's one of the two police officers on scene or like may, presumably one of those police officers survived of the three. Maybe. Yeah. So, well, yeah, maybe. It's, it's we're not catching up with people who got shot. The, those people nope. are not. In, we're We're in too condensed of a time frame. This is taking place in 24 hours. Holy shit. I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is so, a very escalated movie. Yeah, wow. So we cut to um, what looks like a birthday party. It's actually or, – or something like that uh, where we've got one of our main villains, a guy named Nick who is like the – I guess the, the next in line to take over of, for the mafia boss. Yeah, Nick DeSalvio, played by Tony Franciosa. Uh, and yeah, he's uh, quite insane in this movie. He's very he's, scary. I like I like this character. Or, or, fascinating. Or I like this character. As, I like his villain performance. He's a great, like, big villain. He's, he's uh, mean, he's very nasty, and, like, you want him to die, but you also want to see him rampage through the movie. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's kind of how I feel about most of the villains in this. Yeah, well, he's he's a Wings Hauser type almost. He's this is a prototype, of a like a, a of how oh, man, what was the silly character name he had in Deadly Force? Kavanaugh. Oh, uh, in Deadly Force. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, Kavanaugh was. Uh, was L.A. Bounty. LA Deadly Bounty. Force was something. Oh, it was really stupid. Stony Cooper. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Uh. But yeah, uh, Nick DeSalvio, played by the great Tony Franciosa. And yeah, he, it's it's a wild performance. He is probably my favorite in the movie, although I also really love just the soulfulness of Yafet Kodo uh, as the straight cop, like the guy who is just trying to hold this together in this uh, god-awful situation where they're constantly behind. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so old man mafia boss goes up to him and then like, and it's like, hey, so we got robbed, a bunch of our guys got killed, and uh, you have to do something about this. And because... he's <laughs> he's ready to do something about this. Yeah, he, he he gives like the whole speech, like you see that that Central Park, but there that's Harlem, and you gotta you gotta clamp down on these people. He doesn't say people, but you know. No, there there are there are a number of slurs in this film. There's and, and a number that I'm not going to repeat. Indeed, and it, like it is a film that is actively uh, confronting it. Like it is a yeah. movie that is about the racial tensions in New York. Like it, even with that image there, where they're up on, they're on Central Park. You know, they're they're looking across. They have enough of a view that they can look down at the border between Central Park and. Harlem, which is, again, 110th Street. Yeah, oh, I wrote it down as, he gives a Lion King speech, but racist. Right, yeah. And he talks about how we can't lose Harlem. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, next we cut to the crime scene and the investigation, and we've got Detective Old Guy, who his name is Frank something or other, and Metelli. Frank was my second guess for his first name. I thought he was going to be Dick. So is this the captain, Captain Metelli? Yeah, Captain Metelli, the, uh, the white racist cop. Right, so Anthony Quinn, who uh, was the executive producer of this movie and hadn't intended on playing this role. Oh, really? uh, do you know who he wanted for the role? Who did he want for this role? Yeah, t- take a guess. Who do you think uh, he, okay, he would have chosen in 72? Oh, God. I don't even know who's working. He wanted John Wayne. Well, you know, this is the better choice um, because <laughs> well, anything other than John Wayne is the better choice. Except Although, I, I feel, considering the way this movie works out, I think it would have been really interesting and satisfying. And I think it's sort of like John yeah. Wayne turned it down because he didn't like what it would have had him uh, do. But uh they also wanted Kirk Douglas, who would have brought a lot of gravitas to it. And I love Kirk Douglas, but I think he would have brought too much integrity. Whereas I feel Anthony Quinn nails it being kind of slimy, but like he is still just like he's an establishment cop. Yeah, he's he's too old for this shit. He is way too old for this shit. He is. He's too old for this shit. Uh, he's investigating finding out uh, that nobody saw or heard anything, even though hundreds of bullets were fired. He's like, yeah, figures. <laughs> and we, we very clearly see that a lot of people saw a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. There's a lot of, there's a whole crowd gathered. Um, but you know, nobody's got anything to say about it. No, I mean, <laughs> you're not going to talk to the police. Well, and there's, there's even like a whole thing later on. One of the bad guys does like a big public killing thing and then says, you didn't see anything, did you? <laughs> you didn't see nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so uh, he goes up to another cop and basically says to him, who are you? And this is uh, Lieutenant Pope, or as I like to call him, young Captain Holt. The the great Yafet Kodo, uh, you know, legend. He, he's an alien. He's uh, one of the two. He, oh, he's with he Harry Dean Stanton. Yep. And the 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 rogue the the uh the, the, the like uh, the work the, crew guys the work crew guy yeah 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 he's the one who's like hey man if you're gonna pay us to go there I'll rescue whoever you want but I don't work yeah. for free uh, uh, and he's good at this yes here he is very much just like he is absolutely honest he is like the serpico of of this he is the the guy who is just really trying with all his soul to do the right thing. Yeah, but he he, uh, but Frank immediately does not hit it off with him. He's like, he's like, who are you? Uh, I'm Lieutenant Pope. I'm in charge here. Excuse me. Uh, what did you just say? Oh, I said that I'm Lieutenant Pope, and that I'm in charge <laughs> here. Right. <laughs> it's like, come again. Um, Lieutenant Pope is my name, and charge is what I am in. <laughs> And like, yeah, can, it, you it done, very, can you run it by me again? It, it is extremely Captain Holt. Like it, it is like a flashback to that. I do kind of wonder yeah. if this is one of the inspirations for it. Because it's Lieutenant it's Pope. Them. Yeah, Lieutenant Pope. Um, I mean, I'm sure Captain Holt is inspired <laughs> by a number of these types of characters across. Well, certainly, yeah. Yeah. 
but but I feel like this is a pretty fundamental this one. This is a classic. Yeah, it is based on a a pretty popular novel at the time. This was sort of a big film. Yeah. So the chief or whoever Frank Superior is is like, ah, we gotta talk to you. I gotta talk to you here in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. The the brass wants him to be in charge of this because oh what because he's black yes because he's black and they both just are like yeah he's only doing this I mean, because yeah. he's black and it's there's black well, guys involved in it's the Harlem yeah for public policy it does make sense to have a it black absolutely detective absolutely makes sense especially in 1970 acting, these guys are acting like you're asking them to like put aside everything that they believe in like he's like i'll resign that's what they want you to do <laughs> which again does seem a lot like what we saw in serpico the, yeah. like it's it's funny because it kind of feels exaggerated but then we see serpico and it's like oh, yeah i mean that's kind of sort of what probably, that's based on a true story so yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. We're maybe kind of in the right territory it's it's possibly a little heightened because it's that sort of film yeah eventually uh, Frank begrudging, really begrudgingly agrees to let uh, Pope have the case. Mm-hmm. But oh man, the look on his face—he looks so defeated when he's <laughs> when he realizes that he might have to listen to a thing a black person says. And then the thing that gets to me is at the end of the scene, he when he after he agrees to go with it, he says to his superior, "All right, what's his name?" After he told him like eight times. Yeah, he said it a bunch of times, but he wasn't listening to him. He wasn't he was, listening because he didn't think he was it's like, I don't have to listen to this guy. He's black. Yeah. And also he was just like seeing red. Like mm-hmm. you are in saying charge? you are in charge. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm a month away from retirement, which uh, he should have. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he maybe should have retired. And he, he is close to it. And he is also crooked because he's receiving money from yes. a head of crime in Harlem himself. Like he's paid off by the Harlem gangsters too. But Lieutenant, but Lieutenant Pope, I'm taking bribes from the community. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, nevertheless, I'm not going to work with this guy who is on the level. How am I going to deal with that? Again, it's the Serpico paradox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. So we cut back to our bad guys. Uh, Nick is chewing out the Harlem organization uh, who is led by a guy named Doc and a thug who I've got him written down as pimp, but I've later learned that his name is uh, Chevy or Chevy. Chevy, uh, Gilbert Lewis, who's uh, really uh, he's in just tons and tons of stuff. Uh, he he was the king of cartoons in the original Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, okay, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I can't remember there. Oh, I'll I'll figure it out. Yeah, so they're they're doing this whole thing like uh, it's like, hey, my guys got killed on your turf. Yeah, well, it's my turf. You don't do things here it's like i'm in charge of the mob and it's like no i'm in charge of the crime in harlem we're, we're gonna have a pissing contest here and uh, but we are also going to begrudgingly work together to find the people who robbed us both i've got a one thousand dollar reward make it five thousand no one's gonna come forward for a grant and it's true and it's, it's true yeah especially with just like how afraid everyone is of everything going on here like nobody's willing to talk to anybody yeah and 
as Nick is getting away, uh, Doc is like, you're not going to make it. Uh, what, is, what is it? Punk Aaron boy marries the boss's daughter is still a punk Aaron boy. And then he do, does like an extremely long evil laugh because this guy has everything figured out. We don't know it yet, but he does. Oh, yeah. He, he's got Doc, stuff under control. Doc is not worried about anything that's happening here, and he doesn't need to be. Well, he's in the perfect position. He's kind of at the top on this side, but, like, he doesn't really stand to lose anything by any of this. He Mm -hmm. is going to, like, he's totally willing to make an example out of these guys because they're not his people, so it doesn't matter. These are just some dudes who are trying to mess with his business. It's like, fine, make an example out of them. I don't even need to get involved in that. Send your guy so you can make as much of an example as you want. I'm just going to sit back and let you deal with this. (laughs) Yep, yep. This... The, this guy, Doc, Doc Johnson, I believe he plays uh, Steve Martin's dad in The Jerk. Oh. <laughs> who, who, the, the classic flashbacks, like, I grew up a young black boy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah, I think he's his dad in that. <laughs> it's been a little while, but that's, that's my recollection. Yeah, so uh, the next scene, we've got a bar, and uh, Chevy's already already on the case already looking for info Mm. and the first person that he speaks to uh he doesn't know this but the first person he speaks to happens to be the wife of one of the robbers oh right yeah yeah (laughs) so he's just like hey if, if you hear anything about this thing that went down just give me a call uh and she's like yeah okay i'll i'll do that yeah Definitely. And, mm-hmm. and now finally we cut to what the robbers are up, the people who did the robbery are up to. It took me a long time to figure out their names, so I've got them called uh, Dreamcoat, Dry Cleaner, and Meds Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I never learned uh, the Dreamcoat guy's name, and I thought the Dry Cleaner's name was Jim, but it turns out the other guy's name was Jim, and so it might get confusing all right we'll 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 try to keep track of that i do remember like the dry cleaner guy is like the main guy he's the he's sort of heroic robber he's i i would not even say heroic so much not heroic yeah he's the one we're supposed to have some empathy for uh things got out of control for him and he is just kind of dealing with the fallout of it yeah yeah Whereas, like, like uh, the the getaway driver guy is uh, – meds guy, I, I think, is the one you're talking about because yeah. he is the one who just – he does not care about anything and he is just living life on the edge. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Dreamcoat guy – Technicolor Dreamcoat does not understand the implications of what he just did. Yeah, he is just, like – in a bubble he he's like well that didn't go great but we're past it now and we'll just roll with it and, and we have like, three hundred thousand dollars to party with yeah three hundred thousand dollars to party with like you do realize that everybody is going to be coming after us like we killed mob police and local gangsters there is no one we're safe from you gotta leave town you gotta yeah. leave town. There's no other way to get around it. Yep. 
Yeah, but um, it, it takes it takes some of these guys a while to realize that. Well, it I, takes I think, them all too long. <laughs> eh, yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, so back to let's see. So yeah, we've got some more. Uh, oh, we got the uh, back to the police station. One of the guys hands Frank the white racist cop some info about the car that they found, and he's right. like. And he's like, you got this. You can use this information to, like, get one over on uh, Pope. It's like, eh, I better not. I better go over and actually help solve the case. So he's going through uh, to go give the info to Pope. And he's stopped by everybody because he is an established cop in Harlem. Everybody knows him. And, of course, he, you know, he's he's also on the take. I, I am accepting money in the community. Yeah, He is accepting money in the community. <laughs> Yeah, and, well, it's kind of interesting. Is like he is kind of racist, but he is also pretty established in the community and not disliked. Yeah, he's not he's not hated. Yeah, that that's like it, it's he is kind of racist, but it's much more that he is just establishment and he yeah. is behind the times more than anything else. And that's that's kind of why I think it would have been interesting to see john wayne in the role especially the way it ends up yeah but again actually, we'll, like, we'll get to it when we, yeah, when we talk yeah. about the ending <laughs> yeah so yeah frank catches up to pope when he's like questioning this one guy and the guy's not talking so frank just butts in and, start, and tries to lose his shit on the guy and pope's just like what are you doing my, my way's gonna work <laughs> and then don't you know that beating guys works? It's what we've always done. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. It's it's the same argument that they have in Memories of Murder. Yeah. Oh my Going God, way yeah. back to one of our first way episodes. Way back to like episode one or two. Yeah, I think it was two. The, the one cop whose only thing was kicking people. He had his kicking boot. And his that, kicking booty. There was the that, sad shot of the, the sad shot of the kicking booty after he lost the foot, because <laughs> the foot got got uh, cut off. <laughs> oh, uh, good movie. Yeah. yeah. Strong yeah. recommend, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is Frank trying to work with Pope, I right. guess, and but he also like wants to be the tough cop he, he can't he can't get on pope's level and, and he's trying but he just it's not in his blood no but like i do respect that he is sort of trying like he there is, sort is of trying. there is integrity there even though he is also on the take like he is yeah. still a cop and he is still trying to do that job and i don't know him being on the take is it, it kind of works in his favor in terms of the politics in this movie. Yeah. And that, like he is invested in the community and he kind of doesn't really want to just put people in jail, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of yeah. makes him better than a lot of other cops we've seen in other movies. <laughs> oh, lots of them. Um, so uh, we get another scene of the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy partying it up and we've got uh getaway driver and his wife who had already been approached by chevy um basically she's trying to convince him to give the money back it's like Mm -hmm. this is too fucked up let's just give the money back and he's like 
I can't give the mob back the five men I shot. Yeah, no, and he is completely right. Like yeah. that, that does not work. But he also does not want to give the money back. He doesn't no. want to work for the white men, and he doesn't want her to have to sell her body. Right, right. So that that's where he stands. He's like, I'm okay that this happened, and I'm keeping the money. Yeah, like it's kind of – he's justified it ultimately as kind of a political statement. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. We get the cops pulling the car up from the getaway car up from the river, and we get Pope arguing with the tow truck driver. It's like, hey man, I'm not going to drive it all the way down to the down to the yard. That's like forty dollar tow. <laughs> I'll take you to the station though. That that's it though. So Pope just steals the dude's tow truck. Oh right, yeah. and he's not completely by the book, but you know. Yeah. So, you know, they, they've got the car, they're investigating it. It's got no identifying markers or, or few rather, mm. but a different bad cop who we haven't seen before, uh, calls Chevy and tells him who owns the car. Right. Um, oh, right. We have a, we have a, another interrogation scene where Frank says he's tired of Pope's liberal bullshit. (laughs) And he's like, the way I work gets results after, after he just finished punching a guy out and knocking him unconscious. And Pope looks at the unconscious guys like results. That man isn't telling us a goddamn thing. Yeah. He's unconscious on the floor. Uh, and yeah, I, I, like him arguing for his way, getting results is, you know, his his way is, again, stomping boot. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, special kicking boot. Special kicking boot. It's a crime to disrespect yeah. the boot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we find out the the owner of the car just sold it to. Well, to the robbers, but, you know, it's right. another kind of dead end. Uh, but we also – so we see parallel investigations running. We see Frank's investigation going alongside the uh, mob the, the mob, who are basically following the same leads but in slightly different better. ways. They're, they're going harder. They're, like, they're having much more success because, of course, they are completely unbound uh, by any law. So they're mostly just finding someone involved in torturing them until they get what the information they need to know. Yeah. So here they they find the wife of the guy who owned the car and get her uh, to tell him who they who the guy sold it to. Right. So so now he's got a name. Uh or the mob's got a name, Jim, I think. Jim something. I believe oh, it's no, Jim it's Harris, a, or is it no, Joe? No, Jim Harris is the uh, the getaway driver. Okay. I think it's Dreamcoat, whose name I didn't catch. Uh, Joe Logert? Maybe. Maybe. So, so we cut to the Dreamcoat guy who's still partying, and uh, Chevy and Nick show up in the club. And they're basically like, like, hey, you, you, the highly conspicuous guy throwing <laughs> money around everywhere. Yeah, what? I'm I'm big shit. I'm throwing money around everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. You're real cool. You're real good. You're, Nick smashes a fucking glass in his face. Nick um, is out to make a very public example of this guy. Yeah, it beats the shit out of him. 
very brutally in public uh, because in front he, of everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because he's high-ranking mafia. No he's one is like, going to say shit about him. He had to torture people to get information about this guy. Yeah. No one is going to talk about him. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. He's he's the mob boss. He's the big boss's son-in-law. Yeah, he is like next in line to be the king. Yeah, or, you know, or as, you as know, we he's talked an errand about. boy, depending on whose yeah. whose opinion you look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um. Oh yeah. This, so this is the part where they take him away, and Chevy looks at everybody who's just witnessed this whole thing happening, and the way he delivers this line, he's like, hey, did anybody here see anything? <laughs> hmm? He just gives him this knowing grin, like, like, like and just... No, no, definitely not. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so somehow... Uh, I must have missed something here, because somehow now Technicolor Dreamcoat is in it, the ambulance with the cops... Um, Frank is like harassing him with questions so hard that he has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> <laughs> like, so they're getting no info. Nope. It's, uh, this, the same problem as before. So, but you know what? They're not completely out of ideas. Uh, Frank decides that he's going to take the party over to his buddy's place. His buddy, uh. Doc Johnson, the crime boss from earlier with the evil laugh and the pimp henchman. Oh, yeah. His uh, <laughs> lair, by the way. I, I love his his office. Uh, just kind of altogether, the interior decoration in uh, most of these locations is very, very late 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, very distinct, uh, over-decorated, but like plush, deep brown uh earth tone style i love that look yeah so so frank is trying to put pressure on doc and he's like no more bodies i'm not bringing out any bodies what are you talking about there's no murder <laughs> in no more bodies sounds like you're trying to give me an order i don't i don't like it when people do that because i'm the boss and you're a cop and i pay you and pope's there he's like what you 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 pay him you say you pay him you say is that a fact <laughs> yeah and doc's like yeah i do i pay him actually you want to get in on this too here give him a whole bunch of money <laughs> and chevy just takes out a wad of bills and starts counting it up and just gives shoves it at pope and pope's like no yeah they're they're pretty gregarious but it's like well i mean there's money to be giving out like again pope is stuck in a a serpico position yeah like you you don't want this free money are you kidding me this is how the system works (laughs) yeah yeah no kidding it's like okay well well why don't i hold on to your free money for you and then when you you understand that you need (laughs) this money i'll hold i'll I won't fuck off to Mexico. <laughs> I'll just hold on to your cut. Hey guys, w- he will take his cut. I'll I'll hang on to it for him. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't fuck off to Mexico. Why do you keep saying specifically that you won't fuck off to Mexico? Just so you know, I won't do it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> who, who who would who would say a thing like that if they were going to do it? That's crazy. Uh, so so Frank loses his shit and attacks and attacks uh, Doc and Chevy and it turns into like 
you know, the everybody points their guns at everybody standoff. And Doc's yeah. just like, guys, this is stupid. Yeah. I do like Doc. He he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, please, we can weather this storm if, if we just step back <laughs> and, and yeah. let the money take care of itself, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert, it does. <laughs> uh, it certainly does. So, some random cops go into the dry cleaner and start talking about the case, which spooks um, dry cleaner robber guy. <laughs> right, because he, he is behind the counter working uh, and like getting the police uniforms and the, the cops are really rude customers. By the way. Oh yeah. These guys are, well, I mean, they're cops and customers. They aren't going to be. Good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, now he, re- he kind of figures that somebody's made that he realizes that he's being looked for mm-hmm. and uh, he's being looked for by a lot of different people. And like, he was already pretty, aware that it was likely people were looking for him he just did not realize how close they were yeah yeah like (laughs) like what is i can't remember what it was but the cop says yeah they figured out that the same people with the car were the same who's something else and he's just like oh shit like oh god damn it that is not good maybe i should do that leaving town thing yeah and he's the first to realize it but it's it's not soon enough yeah, so here we have some more uh, good cop, bad cop with uh, Frank and Pope with uh, Technicolor Dreamcoat's girlfriend or wife or whatever, mm-hmm. um, trying to find out who he was friends with. And they have very different ways of doing it, which I kind of – and they're kind of like both trying to do it at this do do it their way at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so he just – Frank comes in and just opens up with questions as like, Hey, you want to, you want answers? You need to talk to my husband, blah, blah, blah. He's over there. It's like, are you separated? And Pope's like, I need to tell you that your husband is dead. What? It was a, and Frank's like, yes, he was a, and then Pope's like car accident. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Frank's just like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll see where you're going with this. And Pope, and Pope explains to him later. It's like, you know, we don't need to fucking ruin her life any more than it already has been. She doesn't know anything. Let's let her think that he's didn't start a gang war that'll rip New York City apart. Uh, yeah. Let's let him think that he just died a normal way. Yeah, absolutely. So she ends up giving them some info anyway. That because there's to, not a lot left to lose at this point. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, we got the mob at a dry cleaning place, uh, dry cleaning a dude's face. <laughs> yeah, just like uh, uh, fully h- h- having him in the 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 washer, the the yeah. torture method to get uh, the information they need. We, we've seen a number of different ones of these over time. There, there's that one guy who's uh, getting uh, put in put on the grill at I think a bakery oh, or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, we we uh, you know we see a few of this. It's always it's always Nick's guys doing it. Interestingly, of course. Um, the, the dogs guys never seem to do any of the violence. They just seem to be interested in gathering information. 
Well, I find them very interesting because they're always there in the background. They're always watching and they're always kind of a silent running commentary on Nick's ex- <laughs> uh, escalating violence and racism. Oh, like, yeah. There's going to be one later that we're going to talk about. Because like ev- every every one of those scenes, he's getting a little more angry. He's getting a little more violent and gruesome with it. And he starts saying wilder and wilder things. And you always just see these guys in the background or it cuts to them reacting to those things, but not addressing it. It's like, uh-huh. Okay. We, we see who we're working with. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the type of guy that we, uh, that wants to get in bed with us. Like we know who we're in business with and we're, we are in business with them, but uh, we don't need to like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, their whole thing is fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll get more into it a bit later. Right. Uh, so we have uh, the dry cleaner and the getaway driver uh, meeting up. This is the first time we see them together since the robbery. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yo, the, the mob got to um, whatever Technicolor Dreamcoat guy. You got to figure they made him talk. Mm-hmm. Which is a very reasonable assumption. Yeah, like he was in bad shape. <laughs> yeah. They they hurt him a lot. Uh, yeah. So they're they're talking about it. Like the the dry cleaner guy is like traumatized. Like man, I can't believe we did all this stuff. And the other guy's like, hey man, it's over. It's done. We did it. Let's just move on. Uh, back to the cops. They find out. So they got the name they got was Jim Harris, and there's three hundred of them in the phone book. Right. Because, you know, New York City is uh, um, a little bit bigger than uh, than your average town. Uh, yeah, New York is absolutely huge, and that is an extremely generic name. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and and but, that's that's our dry cleaner guy, right? Yeah, that's our dry Yeah. No, Jim is – I thought Jim was a dry cleaner. Uh, and that's even what I had written down, but Jim is actually the getaway driver. Okay, that's the The, guy. the other guy, the one who lives the longest. Uh, yeah, so they managed to narrow it down to three of them after, after of course, uh, Frank has to give his, uh, uh, you do it. I don't, I can't tell. They all look alike to me. Oh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So they managed to narrow it down to three. One is currently in jail. One died three months ago and one completely fits the description to the T. Yeah. So we get a uh, dry cleaner guy might as well be carrying all the money in a dollar sign bag. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> they are not they, they there's no way for them to be inconspicuous. Like they they have just like ruined their reputation in every area of town. Yep. Yeah, so they so dry cleaning guy is like, well, even if the other guy doesn't want to leave town, I'm going to fucking leave town. So he gets in the cabbie and is like, uh, yo, get me to, I don't know, the airport or the, the dog, some, some out of town place. Mm-hmm. And like, I, this is the, the biggest sticking point. How do you not just start by getting out of town? Like if you do this hit and it goes this badly, you leave town. <laughs> yeah. That should wait be for like, the heat to die down. That, that should be priority. That number should be one. like the, next thing you do you should be doing that before you count your money yeah you've got three hundred thousand dollars you can get out of town for a bit lay low and figure things out and then come back with that money 
or just get out of town and stay out because you got three hundred thousand dollars. You got can family. almost put down a down payment on a house in Vancouver. I well, like in this time you could. Oh, in this time you could buy like you, in this time that's a lot of money. Each of them could have bought houses. Oh yeah. Yeah, so... um, (laughs) But not in New York. Not in New York, no. no. Uh, So the taxi guy's like, okay, I'll take you where you want to go. And he's just eyeing the guy, eyeing the bag in the mirror, and he grabs his radio, and he's like, this is the taxi. I'm going across 110th Street. (laughs) Repeat, I'm going across 110th Street. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm -hmm. And, of course, who's listening to this? Uh, Doc and his voice. Yeah, you, you know, you, you got to have your secret codes. Yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, Getaway Driver is uh, having a tearful goodbye with his uh, girlfriend. where Because he, he's going to go into his safe house that they'll never find him. Nope, not in a million years. It's still in New York. Yeah, it's like a couple don't get out of ta- down. get out of town. <laughs> Just leave the town. It's a couple, his safe house is like I get the feeling it's a it's a couple blocks away. Like I get the feeling it's walking distance from his real house because he has to go back to get his pills. It it definitely is. And like again, you have <laughs> now a hundred and fifty thousand dollars each. Yeah, get out of town. Just go. Go to New Jersey. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, go to. I don't know what's around in that part of the U.S. Everything at this that time. is a that is a very densely populated area. That that's kind of like uh you know you're you're near Washington, you're near Baltimore, you're oh, near yeah. Virginia. There's a lot going on over there. You don't have to be in New York. Yeah, you could go somewhere. Yeah. Um. So, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, uh, the mob stops the taxi. Uh. They come up with their cars, and the taxi driver just stops the car, gets out, and runs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and dry cleaner guy tries – is like, oh, shit. He tries to get into the front seat of the taxi and drive away. Um, but it does has, not work he out. It doesn't work. He leaves the car. He goes into this building, climbs some stairs, uh, pushes somebody down an elevator – and then we come back to the other guy who wakes up screaming because he can't find his pills. Oh, right. So now he has to. He he has to go back and get them because he it's not really clear, but he definitely needs these pills for something. Yeah, I think it's like a heart medication. I, that's kind of the impression I get, because when he finally he is like crawling when he's back back at his apartment, that's. I've yeah. got to be walking distance away. Like it's, did he just go into the building next door? He's got like a panic room. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so Nick and the mob is chasing the uh, dry cleaner guy through the construction building. Uh, oh, yeah. OK, so here's where they catch him and tie him up at the top of this under construction building. Right, and this is where he start, where uh, Nick starts to really lean into the racist part of his tirades. Uh, he builds a gallows and improp mm-hmm. two fucking gallows. Uh, and 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 Doc and Chevy are just kind of looking at each other and looking at him like, "You see what I'm seeing?" Yeah, yeah exactly. They're like, "Hmm, hmm," <laughs> and. You know they're they're on the edge of a construction site, so you know there's a lot of big 
open empty space beneath them so it you know it's also kind of like walking the plank in addition to yeah. uh the 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 lynching yeah yeah um yeah so nick is like asking him who the third person is and and uh yeah doing the uh doing the interrogation thing uh he gives up the guy's name and then nick just drops him anyway yeah laughing yeah oh yeah laughing and, and it, the other guys are watching like yeah, it, it cuts to those guys again, like, hmm, yeah, okay. No, we, right. we definitely do know who we're working with here. Okay. All right, this, this, this guy, this is our business partner. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Good to know. So, yeah, now we've got uh, we've got the guy. So this is where we find out that this guy is Jim, the getaway driver. Right. Uh, so we have Frank talking to Pope in the office about how he wants to retire. And it's like. Don't say that in a, a police movie. Never say that in a police movie, especially when you're on an active case with like very dangerous people. You're like, man, we're, we're, I'm reaching the climax of this movie. I got to tell you, I'm retiring in two hours. <laughs> like, oh, no, <laughs> the stakes are incredibly high. If you're not a desk sergeant doing a desk job, never tell someone you're going to retire. Well, I mean, even if you are a desk sergeant, I don't know, maybe Terminator comes through the door oh, with maybe. a car. Yeah, I, that does happen. It's happened a couple times. A couple times. Um, sometimes he'll come back. Maybe. <laughs> they get into this whole big argument where it's like, I'm going to retire. Don't you want my position? Yes, I do. But I want to get it the right way. <laughs> when are you going to start looking at me like a real cop? And, and they go back and forth. I didn't write down everything they said, but. Yeah, it's all very, very impassioned. Uh, yeah, Fikoto is just trying to get respect and do things the right way. Again, he is very Lieutenant Holt, or yeah. uh, Captain Holt, rather. I guess at this time he would have been a Lieutenant Holt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he'll make Captain for this. Oh, yeah. There'll yeah. be there'll be room. So, um, but he, but he doesn't know where the third guy is, but he gets a phone call. Or, or rather, Frank gets a phone call, and he's like, it's for you, actually. And so Pope Pope gets the phone, and his doc is like, hey, you want to know where the third guy is? Because uh, the mob's going after him right now, and he's over here. Here's his address. Uh, knock yourselves out, guys. I'm Get gonna go to him bed. first, or uh, he's going to be uh, dead like the other guys. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Pope starts mobilizing everybody while Frank's just getting wasted. And Pope's like, are you coming? (laughs) (laughs) And Doc says to his, and we cut to Doc, he says to his henchman, he's like, "Ah, I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to bed. Yeah. I I know how this ends. It doesn't matter. Uh, How it ends is I'm here safe in my own bed at home and other people are dealing with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so. The cops and the mob are converging on this guy uh, who who is also he's the one with the assault rifle. I guess he's the one who pulled the trigger mm-hmm. in the original robbery. Right. Because he, he just got really nervous. Yeah. So Nick and his team are the first ones to get there and they're waiting outside his door. And Jim comes busting out guns blazing, just kicks Nick like into a window and bashes his face through it which apparently kills him because we don't see him again 
Yeah, he fucking takes him out. Like, it's it's a surprise takeout after uh, the chaotic energy of Nick up to this point. Yeah, he, he went down very easily and screaming like a... Okay, so I, I understand that if you're dying and it's a painful death, you're going to scream. But mm. I think that when you're evil and your thing is torturing other people, you shouldn't be allowed to scream when you die. You should have to sit there and be like, I deserve this. I don't know, like, it, it kind of tracks, you know, he, oh, he is tracks. the big bully, he has uh, always uh, just kind of had his way, and nobody's really been ever ever able to fight back against him, and he's this oh, yeah. crazy sadist, so now that, that, he's finally having it lash back against him. And oh, no, does... I love that he's crying yeah. about it, I just think, Great. I just think it's like, it's like that scene from The Simpsons, where, like, one of the bullies gets punched, is like, this is what I've been doing to other people. I'm a monster. Except he doesn't get to have that realization of being a monster. Yeah, well, it it, it is just him screaming and dying. Uh, but and yeah, like, no doubt believing it's very unfair. Oh, for sure. Uh, just a really big, wild performance by Tony Francioso that I like a lot. <laughs> yeah. From beginning but, to end. Oh, yeah. But he's done. He, that he is does not friend. survive this. Yeah, uh, and Jim, I think, like, one of the other, I think the other mob guy also gets it here with the gun. All the mob guys get it yeah. because Jim explodes their car. Right. Uh, whoever whoever he doesn't get in the stairwell gets their car exploded. Right, right. Um, so, but now the cops are coming. Uh, Jim gets back to his hideout. Oh, his girlfriend was there, too, and she just got killed in the crossfire we don't even really see it happen we just Mm -hmm. see that she's dead collateral damage yes so we've got the cops versus jim doing a shootout on one rooftop and then in the a rooftop across the road we just got chevy sitting there just watching everybody like do 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 do. this is real interesting let's see how this plays out (laughs) let's see how this plays out exactly and it is kind of like our uh, I'll I'll get back to you as soon as I ditch this cop. They're they're having this <laughs> rooftop chase and battle with the, with the, all of the police, but there's a bunch of police here, yes. and only one Jim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what Jim ends up doing? Uh, he's cornered. He's at the edge of the roof. Uh, he looks down and he sees kids playing basketball below. Uh, he just takes the money bag and throws it down to them. And we see them all scatter or all like uh, racing to yeah. grab handfuls of money. And everyone's like, he's, he's giving it back to the community. Yeah. yeah. Cause he knows um, he's not getting out of this. He's, he's not going to keep it. He ain't going to get it. Uh, so yeah, we see um, Frank gets up onto the roof, but he to try to get Jim, but he trips and falls uh, and Jim is about to shoot him, but Pope shoots Jim to save Frank. Yeah. And Frank is saved and he lives happily ever after. Until, <laughs> until, <laughs> until he stands Chevy, back up. <laughs> he, he stands back up. It's like, oh, good. I <laughs> basically like, whew, good. I and thought like, I jinked myself when I said it, I was going to retire. Yeah. And it kind of seems like you're going to have a moment where uh, uh, Frank is going to recognize pope and and be yeah, like, be like, oh like, you know well, it, it seems like you're gonna have like a moment of reconciliation and understanding uh you saved but, my life i should stop being racist now 
but uh, that's that's not really the sort of world this movie uh, rolls nope. in. So because he gets uh, shot in the fucking head. Shot <laughs> in the head by Chevy with a handgun from across the roof. Uh, shooting into a crowded roof gets uh, Frank right in the temple. And I, th- I think it's like, uh, I, I think it's probably like an enhanced gun. You know, th- this is like his own specialized yeah. hitman gun because that seems oh, yeah. to be what his purpose is. And I think this is the first time he does violence. Mm-hmm. We, we've just or the seen first him... time any of his guys actually do anything violent. And and he does seem like he's always been creepy and on the sidelines and threatening, uh, but he's always been in the background. Like he like Doc, knowing he's like this is going to work out the right way eventually. Uh, yeah. But we'll we'll let the crazy guy lead out in front, and we'll we'll just take care of stuff as it goes. Mm-hmm. And he do. And he do. And we actually get a freeze frame on uh, Frank. Falling down dead. Yeah, and, and just like uh, Pope in the background is like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like, what an incredible ending to just like, uh, and then the cop, the, then the old cop uh, got shot in the head before there could be any reconciliation. He fell over and before he finished falling over the end. <laughs> yeah, it's like he was just about to maybe start being less racist. <laughs> uh, but probably not. Kaboom. Uh, maybe a little. I don't know. Maybe a little. It's like, oh, well. All right, Pope, you're one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah, it, it was going to be that. It so was going to be that if it kaboom. was going to be anything. Uh, so again, if it had been John Wayne, that would have been really fun to see because uh, he'd never been uh, killed in a movie uh, before. And he didn't until 76 with his final film. Was the that shootest. Genghis Khan? Oh, no, his, his final like Genghis Khan was way back. Uh, that was like or not Genghis Khan. The Conqueror was right, like, right. 58 or 60 it took a long time to take its effects seeing john wayne in this role would be interesting because i wonder if he would get it i feel like probably he did and that's why he didn't take it (laughs) that could be actually i i believe it is like you want this guy to almost come around and treat black people like real people (laughs) no sir it it just uh, it does not uh, fit with uh, his his usual takes. Uh, no, it does but not. Yeah, I I I think it's a great movie. Like I, I think it's really important and and sort of uh, fundamental to the action genre in the seventies. Uh, mm-hmm. The violence is always quite surprising. Yeah, uh, it, it it goes hard. Um, it's it's not shy about the violence or the racism. Like it's, well, like it's not even the racism as the tension. It's like we are going tension, to yes. address exactly what is going on in New York <laughs> right now. And th- this is just like we're we're looking at all of the different groups all coming together. It's like you, you couldn't do The Wire in a movie in uh, 1972, but you could do like a pretty large microcosm like this. This is sort of as close as you can get. Is... Yeah, this this is seventies. This is seventies wire esque. Um, yeah, not, it's not like seventies wire play, the you know, movie. <laughs> it, it definitely works because it's like only it. an hour and forty minutes, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I like it a lot. I, and the the theme song is just such an all time banger, like just a real classic. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, it took me a while to get into it because I, I don't know, I had a hard time identifying which robber was being tracked and which people were robbers. Right. Um, once I, but like now that we've talked it out, it's like, okay, now this is actually, now I'm like super into it. This is actually a really good, fun movie with really fun, interesting characters who, uh, I was going to say interesting heroes and villains, but it's mostly just interesting villains and not as villain. Yeah, it's it's shades of gray. Like it it's is a very, uh, yeah, you know, it, it is entering that 70s period where most of your characters would be shades of gray, which is it's that 70s uh, nihilism, the new Hollywood feel, uh, which, you know, I, I missed that. <laughs> I, I think we could use some of that again. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, I don't know if I apologize if you mentioned this already, but mm. uh, who, the guy who did play Frank the cop, uh, Anthony Quinn, was it? Mm-hmm. Anthony what, Quinn. I've definitely seen him before, but what do I know him from? Uh, man, he, like he is a legend. He's in like he's in Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, okay. So he's <laughs> he, he's one of those like yeah, I've definitely seen him somewhere, and you can't possibly narrow it down where. Like yeah, it's it's tough to say. Uh. uh Lawrence of Arabia is is probably the biggest. Uh, he won Best Actor for that. Oh, okay. Uh, and you know he I he was uh, he was with Marlon Brando as Zapata in Viva Zapata. Okay. Uh, he was Zorba the Greek in Zorba the Greek. Oh, okay. You know, so so yeah, he, he is one of those guys. I've, one of those big guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely seen him somewhere. For- Never, you'll never be able to guess which of the many movies I've seen. No, hard to say. Hard to <laughs> it say. could be anything. Yeah, yeah. No, I really liked it. Um, I came around more on the movie as we were talking about it than I nice, than nice. when I. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I really like it. Um, it's a good recommend, strong recommend. Uh, if you can hand, if you can stomach violence and not tiptoeing around really, real tense uh, political situations. Yeah, a sensitive racial uh, area, and, and like you yeah. know, it's 1971, New York. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's Harlem, and, and a black guy is trying to be a good cop and make a difference, and that's, that's uh, yeah, it's not, and it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Indeed, uh, but yeah, a, a really great movie and uh, kind of one of the fundamentals. Uh, so, any last thoughts before we head to part two? Um. No, I think uh, I think I'm ready for some uh, some celebration. Some, yeah, some <laughs> celebration. We're do, we'll go into it, but we're doing it a little bit differently today. All right, uh, see you soon. And we are back for our third and final part, uh, where normally we talk about movies we've uh, watched in the past week. But what we're going to do is talk about movies we've watched in the past year, the first year of. We've watched that. a couple. I think like we've maybe watched. eight. We've watched a hundred, uh, maybe like I think technically a hundred. Actually, yeah, it's a one hundred and one is what's on the list. Uh, because I think there's Commando Ninja <laughs> as well, oh, which yeah. we sort of just threw in there at one time. Because the yeah, first there's been a few that yeah, there was a couple where we did two. Um, there was one where two. we did three, and there was I I think we threw Commando Ninja in that one time. Oh, uh, there was that time we tried to do Wrath of Khan. And Day of the Beast and something else in one episode, and I a long one. do it. It was heavy. 
Uh, but uh, essentially this week we don't have any moves or ads. Uh, I, I was catching up on other stuff, but I do have a Jay's pick. Oh, now we haven't discussed this in advance. I have no idea what you're going to show me. No clue, no hints, no nothing. This will be, I don't have a clue. I'm not, <laughs> I can't, I'm curious. What do you, what do you got for me? So this is the 1966 William Griffey film, Sting of Death. Uh, rubber suit, monster, jellyfish man. I sent you a few oh. preview pictures of this on the weekend. It features singing star Neil Sadaka. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, uh, it's, it's such a strange thing because it's one of these proto slashers it's kind of a a cross between a creature from the black lagoon and a slasher movie uh you've got this weird element of it it's the florida everglades and there's this pirate party boat and like they they dock at your at the back dock of your house and they just their party boards your house and they party (laughs) (laughs) that sounds that sounds kind of ridiculous fun it's it's great and like you know it's it's just like it's a little too early for it to be psychedelic it's 66 and it's florida so like it's it's just a little before that so like you gotta have an actual dance craze song so they have them do the jellyfish and have a whole dance (laughs) sequence it's very silly and there's like this i i feel like maybe this is where ghostbusters took the name Egon from because there's the hunchbacked assistant, but he's like sort of coded as a beatnik, like he's dressed as a beatnik and he's sort of a weirdo. So he's yeah, master. We tried nothing. We're all out of ideas, master. (laughs) No, he's not cool in any way. Uh, He is uh, deformed, and everyone makes fun of him and is afraid of him because of it. And uh, spoilers: uh, he is bad. Uh, But uh, he he's Igor, but he's like real gone man. So he is Egon. (laughs) Egon, the the evil assistant. Uh, And yeah, so, you know, Jellyfish Man, uh, Neil Sadaka singing Do the Jellyfish, uh, and just kind of grungily violent at times. So it's it's sort of a, it's a weird point in the spectrum. And also an introduction to Bill Griffey, a very important uh, Florida indie uh, exploitation guy, sort of like Adamson or... uh, the, those kind of dudes, but uh, okay. much smaller filmography. Right on, right on. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Cool, cool. So that is the the second film we'll be talking about next week. But for our first one, we also have a gimmicky pick because you know we're just doing a whole fiftieth episode thing, and we're gonna do some awards after this. Uh, but uh, for our our first pick, we're going to pick a movie that. You know, Shanna isn't particularly interested in seeing or uh, doesn't want to see right away. Uh, yeah. I might end up watching it just because. Uh, so the, the the basic rules are that you, you won't choose something that, uh, you know, is sequential in a series. Um, but, you know, anything else would be fair game. And uh, you choose what it is. Uh, what, what is underneath it is what we will watch. 
and I will answer three questions about it, not including what the title is. All right. So um, I guess my first question, Mm -hmm. uh, we did, you did say, and we established before that we were excluding series that we had in progress. Mm. But what if it's a series that's kind of going downhill and I'm a little concerned it's not really going to get back to the heights of the first few entries? You're talking about Gamera, of course. Um, that was, uh, yeah. Uh, um, I, I didn't think that was going to be that obvious, but I guess it is. To be honest, I'm pretty sure the next one is my favorite of the latter day ones. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, Gyron yeah, has some I really need. fun stuff. I really oh, like that's Gyron. The knife dude. Yeah, that's the right. knife dude. He's got throwing stars that fire out of his head. It's got the cannibal girl aliens. It's like, again, it, it has some recycled material, but uh, it's one of the better of the latter day ones. Okay, cool. All right. Well, and I don't honestly even recall what the next one is after it. All right. Well, that's okay. Cool. That's my first question. Then we won't burn through the Gamera series and see what's underneath it yet. Also um, against the rules, anyway. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Also that. Yeah. 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 That, that's why I wanted to ask before beforehand. So, uh, what do we got here? So, I know that some that your stacks are loosely themed, sometimes kind of. Yeah, often they are. Uh, we'll we'll frequently have thematic things, uh, and most of the stuff right up at the top is director sets. So, oh, okay. uh, none of those are going to be worth touching. Like. The Olympic one, you're going to be looking at another Olympic one. The oh. <laughs> the, the Swedish psychological drama, you're going to be looking at another Swedish psychological drama, oh, okay, uh, etc. Okay. So, all right, all right. To keep in mind. Hmm, all right, well, shoot. So that's, I guess, uh, gosh, I, I don't. I'm, I've been looking at some of these movie posters for so long that they just kind of are back around to me, so I'm not quite sure here. Uh, without being too specific, is there anything on the top of the stacks that you think I wouldn't like, that you're like, mm, Shannon probably wouldn't be into this, that, or the other thing, but might be into something underneath it? Uh, like, honestly, I'm not sure. Because, uh, like, all of the stuff that's up at the top is pretty interesting. It's just... It's all kind of headier stuff that I just haven't really gotten into. I mean, like we've got, you know, Hitchcock. We've got yeah. uh, the uh, right. Hitchcock was one of these. Yeah, Saboteur is a and is an early Hitchcock. That's the start of a big Hitchcock box. Cool, cool. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, like they're they're mostly like the, these are the the stuff that's up at the top is pretty much all art films, okay. like international for the most part like we've got an iranian one actually a couple iranian ones uh korean one french uh, swedish italian i guess part of the other reason that i'm having trouble with this is i don't want to say no to any movie because i always because there's always a chance i'm going to get surprised but so i have to keep reminding myself that i'm not just killing a movie i'm just shuffling it yeah, we're we're just pushing it down. And again, I may just watch it, <laughs> right? And right. then report back, and we may do it as a second feature. Who knows? Oh, uh, 
Um, okay. How many questions have I asked? I think that's it, isn't it? Well, the, the, no, the, the thing is you, you choose one and then you can ask three questions about the movie that is underneath it. Okay. So that, that's, that's the idea. We're not, not oh. general questions before oh, we get okay, to okay. the choosing. That, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Um, so. Cause like, and then you can choose from those. Like you can get a couple ones that you're looking at. They're like, I don't know if I'm feeling this. What the thing under it, three questions. This is, that's the idea here. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this uh, this one that just says poetry, and I'm like, eh, this isn't really speaking to me, so... Okay. So I'm going to ask weird questions that might not even tell me anything. The All right. movie below it, what decades did that come out in? Uh, let me just verify. And maybe what country? The, the uh, it is... Too. It is an American movie, and it uh, it is a fifties movie. Oh, so that's two. We haven't One more been into fifties very much. Is the movie below it funny? Uh, or could it, or could it be funny? No, I would not say that it's funny. It's not uh, that sort of genre. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, so that's that. Fifties American. It's not a funny genre. It's it's a serious movie. Okay. All right. How about so that's one. So the cloistered nun. Are these all going to be nun exploitation? The next one is nun movie. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> That is the nun box. <laughs> the nun box. Uh, well, when when available initially on the Severn website, it was available in a nundle with some ooh. another with some some additional extras. <laughs> the Olympic one will have an Olympic thing below it. It will indeed. It will it will be the next year of Olympics that they that they uh, created a film for. Okay. So now I'm looking at the thing for Afterlife. And I'm just seeing the tagline is like, uh, after death, people have just one week to choose only one memory to keep for eternity. But that actually sounds kind of cool. So that's a really great movie. I think yeah, you would really yeah. love it, actually. Yeah. So so maybe, uh, yeah, the, the poster didn't speak to me, but the, the very simple premise actually does. So we're not going to burn through that one. Holy shit. I thought this would be easier, really. <laughs> Let's see. So. Oh, what's this one? This is like an army-looking one. Oh, that's Park Chan-wook, though. I don't want to burn through anything of his. Mm, JSA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, joint, uh, joint uh, security what is the area. Joint security area. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the demarcation line. Uh, North and South Korea. So many of these I've absolutely been judging by the cover, and then I click on it. And it's like this actually seems interesting. See, that was that was kind of also secretly one of the purposes of this to kind of just shake it up and look at these a little bit, and so we, we yeah. kind of know a bit more about them. A way of digging into the stacks before we dig into the history of the stacks and the movies that we've covered and so forth. Yeah. Um. Okay, well, this section is going to go on forever if I dig into every stack and start asking questions. So what's under poetry? We're going to do it. Okay, so it is the 1956 Western Backlash. 
so this is a more traditional Western. Uh, uh, pre spaghetti. Oh, oh yes, yeah. well before. So this is a John Sturgis, who's one of the major directors of westerns. Like he goes all the way back to the twenties. He's one of oh, the legends. Oh, one of those like the the old school ones. The, the really really, really old school. Because like uh, his son uh, also made movies, and his dad also made movies. <laughs> like he's he's in the line. Uh, it's it starts Richard Widmark, who's one of the classic tough guys. Uh, he he also did a lot of noir villains, uh, so he's an interesting kind of conflicted good guy. Cool, cool. Uh, so it, it's uh, backlash because I think there's a guy with a whip. It, it's sort of an interesting quasi noir western because like film noir had kind of started to get up uh, at that point, and there's a mystery involved in it. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So. So that'll be our, I guess, our first feature. All right. So uh, next week we'll be covering Backlash, 1956, and uh, Sting of Death, 1966. So what a difference a decade makes, by the way. A real interesting contrast in uh, the changes in American culture in one decade there. Yeah, when you're living through it, you don't really think about it until you go back and it's like, wow, 10 years ago, like 2012 like it, for me it was just life but when you think about it it's like the world was completely different in 2012 and again completely different in 2002 except i feel like if we went back to the movies in 2012 they wouldn't feel any different oh uh, no. whereas and the movies in 2002 some of them feel really really modern still so yeah it's sort of a weird sliding scale with well, that yeah like adaptation was uh 2002 that's, that, that is 2002 that could have come out that next could year have come out today <laughs> Well, that that could come out in the Cage Renaissance, which I think yeah. we'll be talking a bit about in our uh, closing segment, which is probably going to go on for a little while, and we'll have some fun with it. We're going to yeah. do some Stax Awards. <laughs> so uh, I'm not really sure how we want to structure this. Do we kind of want to go back and forth? Like, you, do you have your list? I have my list. I have still struggled with some of the categories. Um, I, I have a few blanks, and I have a few where I've written down a couple. Well, we can talk them out a little bit. Yeah, there there are ones I where I've definitely got some uh, runner-ups or uh, ones that were like tough to choose between that I kind of want to talk about as well. Okay. So do you want to go back and forth with who uh, talks about their answer first or are there ones that you just like, I need to go first? Cause... Oh, no, no. Um, let's let's go back and forth and do it by category and then. Okay. Yeah, th there might be like when we get to the category, there might be one where it's like, I got to get this out. But right. But I don't have a particular category I got to get out first. Yeah. OK, so shall we start at the top with the like the the first couple awards are kind of almost innately won by certain figures just based on their titles uh yes. but in future years uh they they we if we continue to do this which yeah we, we may continue to do uh they uh, can serve as symbolic namesakes mm -hmm. so uh i'll begin with the baragon award for our most lovable villain uh which <laughs> really does have to go to uh, the sweet and lovable dog boy Baragon. He just wants to get out of the rain. He doesn't like being wet. He just wants to take a nap. He looks so grumpy when it's raining. 
he'll never fire another rainbow again. But I do want to bring up one potential runner-up to the award oh. this year. Uh, okay. Just a runner-up, uh, the Green Knight of mm. the Green Knight. He's not even yes. necessarily a villain, but he is lovable and he is kind of just an ent. I like him. I'm, I'm glad. Okay, I'm glad he came back up because there's there's something I really liked, like something I really wanted to get out. When oh, great. We talked about it, but I didn't because I didn't think about it. Like the whole thing, the whole time watching the movie, I was just like, what is this Green Knight's game supposed to be? What is the point of it? What is he trying to teach people? And then I realized, like, dude, he's a forest fairy. You can't yeah. figure out what they're up to. They literally do things because it doesn't make sense. He, he's just having his uh, tree fun. Th- yeah. This is his tree conception of fun. He's taken on human form and he's uh, he can regrow his limbs and, and oh, just yeah. like uh, put them back together. But uh, hey, human, would you like to try that? Ha ha ha. So, yeah, he's you kind know, of my runner you up. You could have just given me a paper cut. It would have been fine. But you <laughs> didn't. And now you flinched. I didn't flinch, sir. Uh, I did not flinch. So yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you have any other uh, potential runner-ups uh, for most lovable? I don't feel like any of the other Gamera villains really deserve our love. I like uh, Gauss, but not as much as Baragon. Mm-hmm. I just like it would drink it from the little blood fountain. Like, oh, so cute, <laughs> drink the blood. Aww. And w- I guess we we got to give a shout out to poor sad Yongri, who we don't love, who nobody loves, who dies nobody very unloved. <laughs> poor guy. He just wanted to dance. Uh, and if if destroy the uh, democratic South Korea, um, he just wanted to destroy freedom and dance. Yeah, he uh, we didn't want he, to kill him, but we had to. He was in the way. So well, you know, he, that's how it goes. He had to go for progress sake. But yeah. Uh, yeah, if we had a category for the saddest, the saddest man, uh, it, it would certainly go to uh, poor, poor Yongri. Uh, and yeah. guess the most lovable villains category is kind of dominated by Kaiju. Uh, and it, and like It almost has to be. Yeah, I mean, like, Godzilla doesn't make it in there because Godzilla is just sort of a neutral. Godzilla is a force of nature. Well, uh, Godzilla is elegant. The first one, Godzilla's a freaking monster. Godzilla is he very is bad. Rage. Yeah, uh, he, he is just, like, cultural rage. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, he doesn't even uh, fall into what I feel is uh, the category for our next one. Agree, but... <laughs> So More what is our this next category. category. Yeah. Uh, so this is the Harge Award. Harge, of course, named after Harge Aird, the asshole dude boy hus or dude man, sorry, uh, old money husband of Carol. Just an incredible name. Incredible name, Harge, Harge Aird. Aird. Uh, fantastic all the way. Um, yeah, just despicable dude. Just extremely unpleasant in uh, everything he does. He he's just kind of the the perfect embodiment of uh, old wealth unpleasantness. And he yeah he's just great. Like it's a great performance. Uh, it's it's gen- done just very precisely. Uh, he is not my pick. No, interesting. No, he is not. Um, Who do you got? 
I've got it down to three, but I'm thinking I'm going to mix one because he's entertaining. So, okay. so the first one I'm going to ask is the German guy from Masturbating Gunman. Okay. Because uh, he is pure evil and uncomfortable, like, eugenics guy. But he is but quite entertaining. Well, and he is framed to be ludicrous yes. within the context of the film. He is absurd. Yes. Now, my first pick is actually kind of cheating because um, the Video Nasties documentary has Margaret Thatcher in it. So, I mean, mm. so that's I, kind that's of a cheat because she's barely in it. I, like, I, she's I would barely accept, in it. And I would accept our main that, villain. Yeah. In uh, uh, actually, yes. Video Nasties. But he he's also not my pick. My pick, okay. my pick for this Tomas from the third act of Lucia. Okay. The one who locked her up and she was just like, well, I could advance in my life if I let my wife work, but then I won't be the man, man, man. So I'm just going to get drunk and get laughed at by everybody while abusing my wife and then wonder why she leaves me. He does kind of out harge harge at his own game uh, in a system where he's more able to control him. But it's again, I do feel like he at least gains a bit in uh, regards to uh, the context, much like our masturbating gunman villain, where uh, he is evidently absurd. This is the comedy segment of Lucia, and he is himself made to be absurd there there is a slanderous mambo about him there is a slanderous <laughs> mambo about him but he's also he doesn't ever I learn a lesson who do what he does yes he he is bad and he never learns a lesson he he is kind of just constantly facing it but like i i do appreciate him symbolically and like yeah i agree he kind of does out harge harge he is on a level, he is definitely, at the very least, like, an honorable mention. Just, just think about what he'd do if he had Harge's resources. <laughs> who who would be the... If they had equal resources, who would be worse? Well, the thing is, he does not have any uh, access to resources because he is still a devoted leftist. Well, uh, like, true. he uh, is actually he devoted is to anti-capitalism. That's a good point. That's a good he, point. And like he he's just kind of letting his jealousy get in front of him at the start of his marriage that he needs to learn and and like that that is sort of the point of the film is how he needs to uh, he and all men need to understand that women are equals in the new uh, uh, in the new order and that's sort of weirdly the the whole point of that third section which is kind of great but yeah I yeah. I do agree that he's like on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm still going to say he gets a slight edge over Harge because Harge isn't a dick to the daughter. There, there's no daughter for Tomas to be a dick to, but Harge, <laughs> he, because the daughter exists, Harge he gets to kind of learn a lesson. Uh, I would also give uh, an honorable mention to uh, the mayor in Alligator, who is... Oh, he's the guy who's like really just wants to suck on the old chemical guy's dick at the party he no he's the oh no no right not the mayor i'm sorry that guy the the chemical the, the, guy oh the chemical the, guy the yeah, real the power who, the, yeah. the limo guy the guy who gets crushed the guy gets killed in the limo yeah 
him who's who's trying who is just obsessed with his son-in-law and he's trying to marry the daughter to her and he uh sets up his pool party which the alligator crashes because it's got a sense of irony uh (laughs) boosted by uh toxic chemicals i i would give him uh an honorable mention there as well all right Uh, so next up is the worst cop award (laughs) Uh, there's a lot um, I, I wrote my thing down before watching uh, Across 110th Street, so... Okay. Nobody from there quite out-shitty cops, the shittiest of cops, but there, no. there's some people in there who try. Right, like, we, it's it's a, it's a cop-heavy movie, so you, you got some, uh, but I, I feel like this is a category in which Serpico really dominates. For um, me, anyways, this, this that that is like the movie that I, going through the list is like Serpico is strong movie. Oh, certainly, but yeah. I, there is one. So, do you have your your top pick? I have two top pick. I have three top picks. Okay, sure. On what criteria we use? Well, shall I I start with my one pick then? Yes. All right. Uh, my my main pick, the one that just sticks in my head specifically from Serpico as the the perfect identifier of all the shitty cops in the movie. Uh, he's not necessarily the most egregious, just the one that feels like the most perfect signpost. It's uh, the belligerent red faced James Tolkien as Steiger, the cop who uh, corners serpico in the bathroom and accuses him of sucking off another cop (laughs) yeah and then says nothing to the cop who allegedly got sucked off and And spreads rumors about him and like tries to get him kicked out of the police on his assumption of him being uh in uh the bathroom to suck this guy's cock because he's into ballet and because (laughs) he uh because the lights are out because the other guy was peeping yeah (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um so he's I mean, he's my representative. Like there's a lot of bad cops and there's maybe ones doing worse things, but he just seems like the perfect one for it for okay. me this year. Um yeah, yeah. I mean it's cops are just a huge organization. It's hard to pick one, so you're you're not so you're not really picking the worst one, you're picking the most representative one. I get that. Mm-hmm. So I got three different criteria for what makes worst cop. Okay. Worst at solving crime, the cop from Alligator, uh, Detective Rosario. Not do anything <laughs> until the bad guys phone us. Uh, or, no, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, that, not Alligator. Um, L.A. Bounty. That is L.A. Bounty. Yeah, I had yes. considered him too. He is the most incompetent cop. He his whole thing and his whole storyline is completely disconnected from the rest of the movie. He doesn't. He he shows up. I think he gets shot. He doesn't help anyone. Yeah, I think he eventually shows up and shoots someone. But yeah, he he is very useless. He is a, maybe a most useless cop. Uh, certainly Definitely one most... I considered in that regard. Yeah. So, so that's if we're talking about worst cop at police work and solving crimes. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about worst cop is in worst piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sugimi from Female Prisoner Seven Hundred One. Oh yes. Uh, he marries this gorgeous woman just so that he can use her as bait for 
not even a fucking cocaine bust. It's a marijuana bust. <laughs> like, so if small, you're busting but... people for marijuana, you're a shitty cop to begin with. But if you're betraying people who love you and then take bribes and then just laugh about it mm. in a overly dramatized like stage play-like sequence... This guy Sugini, sucks. Sugini is an excellent choice. He is certainly the most heightened, extremely comic book bad cop. <laughs> like, he he is the most over-the-top supervillain-y bad cop, for <laughs> sure. Uh, one other I would mention, the partner in Memories of Murder. Uh, the kicking, the kicking, the, the kicking guy. guy. He he actually yeah. came up a lot in our previous discussion, and yeah, he he was on he's, my mind because I was thinking of him as a runner-up. Uh, he just gets an just, honorable mention. Yeah, just dysfunction uh, uh, on on a systemic level. He he's a very good representative of that, and that, that's sort of where I was uh, looking yeah. with that category. But yeah, there's a lot of different ways to take there's, it. Now now the final worst award is. Worst at fitting into cop culture and assimilating into being a cop. And this, of course, is Serpico himself. He does right. not do the things that are expected of him as a police officer, even though he solves crimes. Which makes him kind of uh, the honorary best cop award. The best cop, but to the other cops, he is anti-cop. Right. Even though he's actually anti-bad cop, but to the other cops, that's the same thing. Right, which, you know, says something. Yeah, so depending on the criteria, I got it three different ways. Okay, yeah. I understand your choice, and if we were going to go with representative of all that's wrong with Coptum, I would say the commissioner in Serpico. Also excellent, yeah. And and I do agree Sugimi is a really top flight choice for that, because he's very bad. Yeah, bad enough to get his own evil theme song. Uh, yeah, and Rosario I had in mind because Rosario is cert- like we're, we're totally agreed he is the most incompetent cop of the year. We can do nothing until they call. <laughs> so, well, they call, but we can do nothing till they call back. I, I didn't yeah, write I, down his number I, right. I don't know. Uh, oh, I've been shot. Uh, so <laughs> perhaps th- th- this may be in the same wavelength because the next award is worst henchman and we may be in line on this one uh, i think we might be so la bounty once again we have <laughs> the great van quattro as michaels i i feel like there's no better choice right dude this guy not only is he an incompetent henchman he is so incompetent that he doesn't know uh he doesn't seem to understand that going back to the boss after failing and getting like eight of your guys killed is a bad idea. He's so incompetent. He doesn't understand that evil bosses have a you failed me for the last time thing. He's he just like, yeah. <laughs> he's unable to see that his boss is angry, which just seems like the, the he absolute. He friends with Winshauser. <laughs> if you are a henchman, understanding that the boss is angry is like survival trait number one and he lacks that oh, he, <laughs> he comes back is like oh my guys are dead but you know he, i also didn't get that. the thing you want oh he you're does such that a fuck up what Why three do you think that? times three times. it's it's astonishing he just, back. 
yeah, he's got like a grin on his face, like, yeah, nothing's wrong. Like he's like, I well, put in a good day of work today. He's like, well, it didn't work out again, boss. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know like, who you work for, right? <laughs> why, why are you calling me an idiot, man? That really it, hurts my feelings. Why do you want me to get in the box? Uh, just yeah, tremendous all the way along. Uh, he he's he's such a bad henchman. Just. Uh, it, it may have to be the Michaels Award, but I, I can't do that because I'd never remember who he is going Yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't quite work out. Uh, but yeah, like th- there's no one even in contention. Like I could probably come up with other names otherwise, but he's just perfect for it. He, he represents everything you want in a comedic shitty henchman. He's yeah. Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah. Uh, so next up we have best death this one's hard this is a, a competitive category because we watch a lot of horror movies we we've done a bunch of slashers we've done all of the evil deads we've done just lots of splattery stuff um it was very difficult for me to narrow it down to two so do you want to go first uh yeah i'll go first all right uh, but the two that i picked can best be represented more by words than by descriptions okay first smile you son of a boom okay yeah the the death of jaws or of bruce um, just just the just like the build-up just that he's like he's so close to being in the water himself the boat's sinking he's on the mast but lying horizontal he has one chance to make the shot and if he doesn't he dies but and he just oh it's good it's a perfect movie (laughs) yeah yeah uh but uh, the other choice i think the backstory death for the ghost spirit thing in retribution the santa mother of god guy (laughs) the guy who got shot lit on fire went running screaming down the alley and then exploded for no reason yeah that was a, a truly outstanding one uh just one of the biggest deaths ever uh definitely high up there uh so i have a couple as well and my number one pick and maybe it's a bit of recency bias because we talked about it earlier in the episode yeah it's uh russell howell as skater in hard (laughs) ticket to hawaii that's a good one just the way he disintegrates like uh, he's been hit by the doom rpg like he's he's yeah. one of the zombie soldiers and he just turns into meat uh, and the fact that he the, a second rocket gets fired for the doll and and just that you know he's hit by the jeep he goes flying through the air with an arched back in a really absurd way uh <laughs> it, it's like it, like it's Cirque du Soleil, but with splatter. Uh, it's just a beautiful, wonderful, perfect moment. Uh, but uh, on, on sort of a different note, the other one I had in mind was Kim Richards, uh, real housewife of Los Angeles or of Hollywood, oh, uh, as Kathy in yeah. Assault on Precinct 13. If I were to say the most impactful death uh, in a movie, just like to get the ball running in a movie, uh, just absolutely tremendous. Uh, and like uh, the certainly the best kid death uh, we we saw this year. I don't ever want to be saying words like best kid death, but <laughs> yes, um, that just sets the whole tone for the movie and makes me realize, oh, this isn't 
going to be just a fun action movie. Yeah, that, that one's just pretty goddamn uh, it's intense. It's so out of left field, too, because nothing we've seen so far is, like, quite on that level. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it just, like, comes out of nowhere, and then just things escalate really, really fast. Yep, yeah. Uh, so extremely impactful and just, like, super well done. Uh, Carpenter stuff, I think, is going to be showing up a lot in this list. Yep. I think so. Yeah. Uh, so next up is Best Kiss, and we may have the same answer here, too. I don't have an answer. Because really? For, I just love... <laughs> I can't... Like, there's either Kiss I love or Kiss I don't care about one way or another. And if I care about it at all, it is like best, best, best. Oh, my God. Yes, right. yes, 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 yes. For, which means every kiss that I like is best kiss. Okay. And every kiss that I don't like is non-existent. So, <laughs> so then I couldn't remember a specific one. So I'm just going with, uh, I'll take the easy way out and pick freaking Carol, something from Carol. Carol and Therese, the first yeah. kiss. Uh, yeah. That is the one I was thinking was most likely. Uh, and the other one I had in contention was uh, uh, the Moonstruck Cage oh, and share the yeah, when, when, they when they kiss up, and she says stop throws... it and and she she uh, starts kissing him back after making him stop and then like he's carrying her to the bed and he's like what are you taking me I'm carrying you to the bed <laughs> it's like oh my god uh yeah that, that one a, that's a good one. really fundamental uh that's probably my main pick but uh, Carolyn Therese was the where I thought you were going and was like my other pick that's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's impossible Tremendous. for me to really pick is. best kiss. I cannot do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, best fight scene. This is one you were specifically thinking about earlier because we hadn't uh, actually added it to the list previously. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, we were like, and I think in the discussion it was like best fight scene and best action, but... Not just all best fights fight action scene. and not yeah. all actions are fights. Yeah, different kind of thing. So just best fight scene. What what's your do you have a main pick? I do have a main pick, of course, and that is They Live. Um, okay, yeah. The only fight scene. Uh the fight scene. Uh the fight it's, scene. I that, that one is definitely a towering achievement. My personal pick, uh the the final showdowns. I, I feel like they're all uh, one interconnected showdown uh, crescendo of Five Fingers of Death. Ooh, that's a good one. That is a mm -hmm. good one. Uh, kind of just unmistakable. Just so many great iconic moments. You got some great eye plucks. You got uh, that fight in the dark with the mirror and everything. Just lots of great stuff. Yeah. Um, shoot, I just had another one I was thinking of, and I lost it now. Okay, well, I do uh, have another runner-up as okay. well. Uh, Bruce Campbell versus all of the mini Bruces in Army of Darkness. Mm -hmm. For more comedic fight sequences, that's yes. up there. And yes. uh, Kung Fu Wonder Kid, the final battle there, just for sheer stupid audacity and the way it ends uh, with the the comedic, the the comic relief guys. Uh, it's it's just oh, that yeah, one's special. Bomb that one's pretty special. Oh, that that's. <laughs> Yeah, that's something. Um, yeah, so oh gosh, now I can't. It's still gone. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, 
Clint Eastwood versus Ramon. Okay, yeah, that uh, one's pretty great. Fistful of dollars. That one is excellent. Just a Ramon. That's the, the final show. You're gonna do it, Ramon. You gotta go for the heart. That's your signature move, Ramon. That is great. He he uh, psychs him out. He pretends yeah. to be a ghost. It and like just that that's such a great crescendo to that movie. It's so beautifully filmed, so perfectly edited. Uh, and just like seeing all the other guys go down around him too. Uh, yeah, that that one's super up there. And and like in a parallel to that, the High Plains Drifter climax is pretty excellent. But it's oh, yeah. sort of an imitation of this one that's sort of a just deconstructing it a bit. Yeah. And it's hell. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hell. <laughs> uh, so next up is best animal. I've got a real left field pick for this one. Uh, what do All you right. got? I, I've got a um, few runner-ups as well because this is a this is a, a a vibrant category. Um, for some reason, this is another one I had trouble with, okay. uh, and I don't know why because I this one should be easy because but I'm like looking at all at list of things and like ah oh, shit. Was there an animal in this one? What did it do? Oh, shit. Was there an animal in that one? What did it do? Ah, crap. So I gave it to fake rubber toilet snake. (laughs) (laughs) Technically an animal. Well, that's actually not far off of my choice because I gave it to the borrower dog. When when the borrower puts the golden retriever head on. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, uh, God. In yes. The Borrower, uh, there is a sequence where the borrower, who is an alien whose head exploded, so it has to constantly refresh it with new, fresh, stolen heads. At uh, <laughs> one point, it, it chooses a dog head and it wanders into a, a punk band doing a demo uh, as a, the borrower dog. And that that is... That is the one that I chose as my number one. <laughs> this is kind of a, an interesting synchronicity there. Yeah. Uh, but I did have a couple other picks. Okay, may- maybe your picks will jog my memory of some other animals that I've seen. So uh, high on the list and uh, was considered my top pick until I remembered the borrower dog when going through the list today was uh, the talking fox in Green Knight. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. I like the talking fox a lot. And... Uh, uh, I, I guess we would also have uh, the uh, Satan, the black cat in uh, oh, in um, your vice is a locked uh, room vices. and only I have yeah. the key. Uh, yeah. I, I really like him and his love for sheep eyes. Yeah. And of course, alligator, the title character the in alligator, alligator yeah. uh, played by Kane Hodder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, just great sense of irony uh eats a lot of fun people that i wanted to see him eat uh there is that part where he eats the little kid who walked the plank but i mean that's the way it breaks i mean there's also i I guess yeah if we're talking alligator we could also be talking jaws jaws yeah but jaws feels a bit more monstrous even though he is more of a real animal than the alligator is right i i feel like i don't want to give best animal to jaws because i don't love jaws i i kind of love the alligator i i have a i get that yeah you know he he's going after the people who he should uh for the most part (laughs) and so him eating the dumb kid is a good transition into 
our best and worst kid awards. So mm. for best kid first, uh, I have a couple picks and one main one. I have two, and I feel like they're at least one of ours is going to overlap. Most Maybe likely, both. I, it could be both. I, I have two yeah. real strong picks, and one yeah. is my definite one because it's a fundamental. Okay, what are yours? So my first is Danny Torrance in The Shining. <laughs> the Danny Shining, Lloyd. Yep. I mean, yep, it's yep. it's one of the best kid performances ever. It's so perfect. Uh, I have him on here too. Yeah, he's he's just great. Uh, wh- what is your other one? My other pick is Drew Barrymore as oh, the okay. Firestarter. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, my other pick is the Bruce Lee kid in Bad Black. Oh. oh he, you know who what? is is or fighting Wesley Lee. Snipes? Oh yeah, Wesley Snipes. That's he right. He was on my list, and then I was like, he act like I actually have him written down and then crossed off. He yeah he but, he's a really good pick too like uh, all all strong choices there there's yeah. a few solid best kids there to go are. through here um, yeah there really are a uh, creepy girl from Pathogen uh, the oh, one in yeah. the bathroom whose character arc makes no sense but her performance is really really good she's very fun and she's just kind of giving the most with all of it and she just kind of leans into it. and and then she like her. Her final diabolical speech really is a work of art because she sells it despite it being completely incoherent. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gets stabbed in the head, which is also pretty funny. Oh, oh, no, you're thinking the. Oh, yeah, no, no. The, 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 the creepy one. girl. Right, I'm, yeah. I'm talking <laughs> the one who makes even less sense because right. her existence nullifies the existence of the first creepy girl. Yeah, there there but, are a few of them. They're, they're all yes, creepy. <laughs> they are. They are. But but I I think she gets an honorable she yeah. gets an honorable mention. I I feel that I feel that. Yeah. So for worst kids, I think we also have a few really good choices. I've only got one, but what do you got? So my top one is the bossy girl in Ladybug, Ladybug, who won't let the oh. other girl into the shelter, so she yeah. hides in the fridge and she dies. She hides in the fridge and die. Because even though there's no nuclear thing, she can't get out of the fridge. And she's just doing it because she's bossy and wants to be in charge of the thing. And yeah, she's she's definitely my top pick. She was the the number one unquestionable. But I do have a secondary as well. But uh, what's okay. your what were you thinking? Um, six string samurai. The uh, <laughs> kid. Uh, that kid. Yeah, that is totally fair. He's a very annoying kid. Uh, my other pick is Jane, the sister in Silver Bullet, who just hates her brother oh. being in a wheelchair and is just oh, sick right. of him being in a wheelchair and having to deal with him being him getting more attention. And Why she's the narrator of the movie. Yeah, that's right. Why does well, I want to get pushed up a ramp? I don't want to have to take stairs. And it's so weird having her as the narrator and being sort of the POV, but we're not really getting why she is so mean or why uh, she's against him. And then, like, yeah. later on, they kind of soften her, but I don't get why or how. So she was always sort of uneven, but it's it's not even about the performance. It's just, like, she's made to be an unpleasant character, and they never resolve it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, there's a few strong choices in few. those categories. But yeah, my, my number one is absolutely uh, the bossy girl, Ladybug, Ladybug. I could not find her name, and 
I uh, just couldn't come up with it in time, but yeah, she was the she was the one burned in my mind. Yeah, no, that that's fair. Um, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, so next up is best trash. Just the now, movie that is the the most fun you had with something that is pretty unabashedly bad. Well, see, this is hard because if I have fun with something, I no longer consider it bad, even if it is. Well, absolutely, and I feel the same way, which is why, like, the movie that is my pick is one I rate very highly and frequently want to show to people, despite it being pretty unequivocally a bad movie. Like, I I don't think anyone would be like, no, that's a very good, well-made film. (laughs) What's yours? I, I think I know, but what is it? It's my old favorite, one of the movies I've just loved for years and years. It's The Giant oh, Claw. Oh, God. Oh, oh, that's okay. The uh, Giant Claw with the silliest puppet you have ever seen, uh, with its big, silly nostril hair, and it's, oh, oh. <laughs> I was so confident you were going to pick something else that I started working into the one of the catchphrases from that movie, but no, I'm, Giant okay. Claw? Like, yeah, Giant Claw is weird because... Everything else about it, like, feels like a competent movie, but this monster just kills any legitimacy. It's it it makes a movie that would have been kind of middle brow amusing but boring, and it elevates it into great trash. Yeah. So okay. the it, it to me is the epitome of the best trash award. Uh, so what um, were, what did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say because. This is a movie that I want to show to people, too, mm. is uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance. Tough Guys Don't Dance. I had a feeling that might be your pick. Because, yeah, that, that one is one I consider. Cinderella 2000. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, both definitely ones that were just a blast to watch and talk about. Like, those are, like, great films to enjoy with people and experience and then uh just dig into them and all the strangeness that they can uh unravel like an onion (laughs) which again yeah an excellent earmark of great trash yeah yeah okay so uh next one is the biggest surprise so this is when you say surprise, what what do you exi- what do you what does that mean to you? So yeah, I was thinking about that when when I was considering my choice for this earlier because that could mean a scene in a movie or that could mean a movie overall in terms of uh, whether w- like how surprised we were by our response to the movie. Okay. So I went. I, with- I actually hadn't considered a surprise within a movie, but. Okay, well, I, I did go with the latter anyways. Uh, okay. the, the biggest surprise, the, the one that uh, was most unexpected with how much I enjoyed it, uh, and I know this one, we will not have the same answer, because this one's Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, which is a movie that I didn't, that I expected to feel the way you did about it, uh, but I loved it, and it just really charmed me. <laughs> but I know you did not care for that one. Well, it's another one that, it, it just... Part of it is because I thought it was a documentary and I thought we were really spying on these intimate moments of these people's lives. And I thought we were like invading privacy. So the reasons I actually didn't like it were because the movie was too well made. You you got boratted by it. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. So so since realizing that it's 
fiction. I've actually come around on it. It's still presented in a way that I wouldn't watch it for entertainment because it's a party and I don't like those. That's that's fair. Uh, but I've I've come around on it a little bit. I right right not enough to not enough to say that I like love it. But there there's parts about it that I do like, and in fact, uh, we're going to mention it in a little bit. Nice, nice. Okay. So, uh, so what is what is your biggest surprise? I didn't really have a secondary surprise. one because there's a lot of stuff that I've seen before, uh, and a lot of the stuff that we saw that I've seen the first time was stuff I was pretty expecting. I was gonna dig like I did. Yeah. See, most of the time I can pretty much expect what is how much I'm gonna like something, but sometimes it's not so much I'm gonna like something that I think I won't, but sometimes it's more I like something even more than I thought I would, even mm. more than I expected. Sometimes I need to expect the unexpectable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about what Hollywood. I'm talking about who killed Captain Alex and Bad Black. Just a, a couple of absolutely tremendous films, and I do have them mentioned elsewhere in, in other categories coming up too, because, yeah, they're just so good. They're, they're, they're so good. Uh, they're like, pure charm. Like, I really... The description makes you think it's going to be in the so bad it's good category, but it's really just good movies made for like 20 bucks. Well, it's it's exactly the sort of thing that we talk about with Yongari and the beautifully handcrafted sets uh, and uh, the, the, the later Gamera movies that are uh, doing what they can. But like they have one kernel of a thing where like they really put a lot of effort into this one thing and it looks amazing. And they do this one really big battle. Uh, and these guys, they're just they do that for every single moment of everything because they're just like using the 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 simplest effects and making it the way they want to make it and as entertaining as the movie they want to see. And I love that they never actually fully resolve the conflict by the end of any of their movies. No, and of like, course not. It's always like, but who killed Captain Alex? <laughs> or wait, Pat Black's mom is alive. What? I am so confused. <laughs> Bad Black is a complicated movie. <laughs> it's so good, though. Oh, it's so good. It's tremendous. Like, I, I do think it is the better of the two. It is definitely the better of the two. Um, but I feel like Captain Alex needs to be seen first. Just just kind of get, like, yeah, the to, feel to for it. And also to understand the hilarious joke of Captain Alex getting killed. Right, yes. Uh, so any, any others for that category? No, that's it. Okay. Uh, so next is the best franchise or series. We have some, uh, interesting contenders here. We do. We have a lot. Um, and my original thing I was going to pick for this, I don't want to pick the same thing for best series and best director. Interesting. Okay. Even though there's no rule saying I can't, I don't want that's to. That's true. That's true. That's fair. You, you do you. Yeah. Uh, so what is your pick? Uh, so I'm or do you have say, a couple picks? No, this is one of the ones I struggled with, and I don't have anything written down. So I'll oh. kind of okay, throw so, one out right now, and I'm going to say what I've seen so far of Gamera. Gamera, interesting. Uh, my pick is definitely Tetsuo. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. both, both Tetsuo the Iron Man and Tetsuo 2 the Body Hammer uh, were just like 
in my top 20 of all the movies we watched uh, in oh, yeah. of the hundred. Uh, they're both absolutely incredible. Uh, and like I could even extend it out to be the Sukumoto series in that like they do all sort of interrelate and they all sort of echo through each other in really interesting and unusual ways. Yeah. But Tetsuo centrally, because <laughs> like Tetsuo, Tetsuo the Iron Man is just one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's high up here, but it's not quite best picture because we've watched a few of my all timers. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I have nothing written down for best picture right now. Uh, I don't know. So <laughs> I do <laughs> have my some real good ones. Yeah, I do have my number one, and but it's really hard to pick between it and the number two, and like it's it's a it's a tough pick. But yeah. So, uh, did you have anything else for franchise series? Any others con- in uh, contention? Because we haven't like the thing is mainly we've done the, the f- one that I sorry we've go done ahead. we've done the first thing in a lot of them, but I feel like we haven't dug into many series. So like Friday the Thirteenth, no. we did we, only the remake, so I don't feel like it's in contention. No, no. There's the um, Evil Dead series, which we, we did have all done three. the whole pretty much the whole Evil Dead series except for the newer ones. But so those, that's, yeah, yeah uh, but actually, but those are defeated by Tetsuo for me. You know. I was going to say Gamera because, but I think Evil Dead does beat out Gamera. No, and you know, I know Evil Dead beats out Gamera because Evil Dead is consistent all the way through, whereas Gamera already (laughs) hasn't been. Gamera has gone downhill a bit, yeah. Yeah. And And, we did the first Halloween, but I, I feel like we haven't dug into the series, and really only the first one is great. Yeah, everything. Well, three, I really like. I love three, three is good for three is good for very different reasons. But mm. Yeah. Everything mm. I've seen from Halloween is like the first one's a masterpiece and everything else is generic yeah. horror schlock. Yeah. Yeah. And Jaws, we just did the first. We haven't done yeah. the sequels, but yeah, yeah. We'll be yeah. talking more about Jaws later. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, next one is best cameo or small role. Uh, I have two for this. Um, okay. One is the actual the person i had in mind when i came up with this uh with this award Perfect. because this person is going to be a meme in my head and he, his voice is going to be in my head for the rest <laughs> of my life okay and i know you can guess who it is but can you know who it is I know we can get the job, but can he do the job? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Shaloub. Dan Hedaya? Oh, yeah. Hedaya, not Shaloub. Yeah, that, no, not, Hedaya, not Shaloub. The brow, Dan Hedaya, uh, as the boss in Joe vs. the Volcano. Up there for sure. My, mine, he's, he's my runner-up, or okay. one of my runners-up, because uh, my main one is also from Joe vs. the Volcano. Oh. Uh, Barry McGovern as the luggage salesman. Oh, yeah. So, may I speak to you about luggage? Uh, just a, a beautiful single scene performance, and I, I do like both of them amazing. Like my my runner ups for this is basically every single scene performance in Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, they're so, all perfect and beautiful. So, do we want to call this the John Patrick Shanley Award? It should be the John Patrick Shanley Award. I agree. Um, but my runner-up, though, uh, is not from Joe versus the Volcano, although, because I again, I don't want to pick two people from the same movie. That's certainly, the certainly, yeah. So my runner-up 
much smaller role than even the Dan Hidaya. Mm-hmm. And it's from a movie that I didn't much care for. It's from Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. It's okay. the guy who had to go to work, but he was too drunk, <laughs> and his boss yeah. phoned the bar. Oh. And I just feel like this it man was, a was heroic, not acting. Yeah, it, it was a heroic <laughs> performance. Uh, I, yeah, that's a good one. I had a bunch in mind because we've we've watched some movie we we watched cinderella 2000 which had uh, renee Harmon, who was too horny for words uh and that was very hospitalized fun. for horniness she had to be twice. hospitalized twice due to horniness uh yeah. so she's up there uh and you know we we did a female bunch so we had uh, gina carroll well rust hamblin as well rust hamblin uh-huh. and regina carroll both like anything yeah. Regina Carroll, she's in a contender. And uh, yes, yeah, certainly Russ Tamblin as <laughs> the scrub who went too far uh, is, is <laughs> really good. Who, in a bunch. The guy who I thought was going to become Charles Manson, but he became a budget joker instead. Right. I like. I feel like maybe he's almost too big of a role for it because he's he's pretty central to the It's not a cameo. Plot. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, the, the ending of the movie doesn't work without him. Right. But uh, yeah, that's a good point. Up there, up there. Uh, any others for that one? Like, uh, there, there's so many because, like, there's Clue. You've got a lot oh, of small little gosh. characters in there. I wouldn't say any of the main ensemble, but, like, uh, just the, 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 the cop who comes in and is really spooked by everything is really funny. <laughs> uh, and you've oh, also yeah. got uh, the, uh, the, the insane asylum guys in Alone in the Dark. Each of them is really interesting. Like, this is a busy category. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, Next up is Best Score. Well, this one feels a little bit like it's cheating because we did a John Williams movie. Interesting. He's not my pick. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's... Not even my second pick. But, because we also did John Carpenter movies. Indeed. And that's kind of where it's a bit of a cheat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um... See, the reason why I always go for John Williams is because, unlike most movie scores, he makes music that I still remember after the movie's over. That is fair. He he is a very no, uh, very iconic. few people other do that. Right. Uh, John Carpenter, however, does with uh, the theme from Halloween. Halloween is my pick too. Uh, just one of my favorite scores ever. I listen to it on the regular. I have it on my MP3 player, and I listen to it at night in bed uh, if I feel like it. It's just it's so freaking good. Just incredible uh, synthwave. But I do have a runner-up. Me too. And What's it's yours? It's uh, 2003 Zatoichi. Okay, interesting. Uh, mine is uh, Chu Ishikawa for Tetsuo. Oh, I should have. That's a really great industrial really banging good, soundtrack. Super really cool. Um, yeah, that that goes on my uh, runner-up list too. Excellent, yep. excellent. Okay, so next up is best aesthetic. I only I only have one thing written down for this, and it's Iron Man. Uh, okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I would put Iron Man way up there too. I have a couple other picks. So my number one, I think, is Baron Prasil. Fair. The Fair, the papercraft yeah. uh, Czechoslovakian movie by Carol Zeman, just a really unique look, uh, really uh, carefully textured and uh, just beautiful, uh, really, really unusual, unique film. Yeah, it's it, it's weird. It's like 
animated, but not. It's yeah, that, that's a very strong choice. I, I do not disparage that one. And my other one is uh, the Green Knight, because just every shot of that movie looks oh like a piece God. of Renaissance art. For, yeah. Incredible looking. Even the freaking like his first death when he's just like, <laughs> tied up and he's a skeleton. You like died. Gorgeous shot. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I made like an edit of that where once I realized it was the bad ending where uh, where yeah it was I, I just wrote you died in red text on that thing. It's it's not as funny when I describe it. Uh, it but I'll, just got... <laughs> I will throw one additional shout out uh, for best aesthetic to Batman yeah. Forever. Mm, yes. Especially for the neon Tommy guns. The neon Tommy guns uh, push it over the the limit, uh, so it it deserves two a special faces mention. Hideout. <laughs> and two faces <laughs> outfits. It's the regular sequence spandex. The sequence spandex. It doesn't get the top pick, especially because of Riddler's just other spandex, where we see much too much yeah. of Jim Carrey's junk. Uh, but uh yeah it that's just a movie that looks like a beautiful popcorn explosion <laughs> and like so i'm sure i know i've said this but like yeah batman forever nails making a 90s version of 60s batman yes totally and i used to always think that it didn't but i was wrong <laughs> yeah like like i thought he was trying to do burton batman and failing and no he wasn't trying to do that he was doing he was, well, doing, he was doing schumacher both. batman he was doing a really interesting version of both and yeah having yeah. gone back to earlier schumacher with lost boys it, it is interesting to see kind of the trajectory of the schumacher style oh okay going back to best kiss um mm. I the kiss that I imagined that the main guy and the main vampire and the Lost Boys were going to have. That Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland should have had. The yes. best imaginary kiss. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I, I vibe with that. <laughs> uh, so uh, any others for best aesthetic? Maybe Knife Plus Heart goes on the list. Knife Plus Heart is very beautiful looking. And like the score adds a lot to that. The oh, yes, it does. Score. Yeah. It's pretty excellent. That that yeah. is one I was kind of considering for aesthetic and score as well. Uh, the aesthetic is a is a difficult category to nail down. Absolutely, uh, but it's one that's very important to me in terms of what I what I really vibe with in a movie. A movie that has like a really tremendous aesthetic can go a long way. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so next up is MVP, just most valuable player in a movie overall, and this is. Uh, a category that I feel has to be won by a certain person, but there are two other people who are really strong in contention and will probably win it in subsequent years. If we did more Nicolas Cage movies than the two we did. Yeah. If we yeah. had done that. I think we're on exactly the same wavelength here uh, with the number one of It's Gotta Be Wings. It's Gotta Be Wings Hauser. Wings Hauser. He's our guy. Uh, yeah. And Nick Cage, easy runner up. And also, oh, yeah. my my third would be Bruce Campbell. Mm, yes. Everything yes, he appears in, he enlivens. Yes, I uh, agree. Yeah. Uh, do you have any others uh, that just kind of deserve a special mention there? Uh, no, I was going to say Wings. Uh, I didn't even think of Bruce until you mentioned him, and I was like, yeah, okay, Bruce. Yeah, Bruce, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we're, we're getting into the bigger categories now. Uh, funniest movie, best comedy. Oh, well. 
And this is I a don't really with... heavy category for me. Really I've got a is. lot of runner-ups. This was a tough um, one. I I had to force myself to narrow it down to one because otherwise I'd be going on forever and ever right. and just listing off everything. So <laughs> I just picked Evil Dead 2 just because of the laughing scene. Because of the lamp. The lamp, and then he's the like, lamp. Ah. <laughs> and I'm like everything about it, but like that just made me laugh. Although, hard ticket to Hawaii got some real good Ooh. laughs out of me. Yeah, uh, me too, me too. And I hadn't got it on here, but yeah. And Evil Dead Two was in my my runner ups. My number one okay. was Moonstruck. Okay. Just uh, there, there's no scene in Moonstruck, no line in Moonstruck that I don't think is in and of itself kind of funny. And then just all of them strung together it's just a, a movie that i'm i'm never not smiling and laughing at all right cool uh runner-ups as well we've got a few clue way oh, up yes there. clue <laughs> was uh it, it was between clue and moonstruck for me as my main two picks i had a really hard time narrowing between those uh although safety last also oh, say, very you know strong what? Safety Last uh, is on my runner-up list. Uh, okay. It's so good. And Just... I had Tough Guys on there as well. Right, but, yeah. You know, no, Safety Last, I was basically howling the whole time. I I, I couldn't believe us. I, I don't know why. I Just every time I see something that old that still affects me, I was like, wow, they knew how to make things funny in 1922? <laughs> it's like, yeah, they knew how to make ago. things funny in... Uh, 12 AD as well. Well, I guess the main thing is that you, you kind of expect it to be played out because you've seen so many iterations of it. It's just, it, it's kind of amazing to see them doing it with so much juice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'd, I'd also shout out Bad Black here as mm. well. Bad Black and Who Killed uh, Captain yeah. Alex. Oh, just yeah. a, as a pair, both very, very funny, especially with DJ Emmy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would say I'd give it to Captain Alex over Bad Black because Bad Black has that bit where she's a kid and it's real, where it's very uh, serious. Yeah, it's very serious. And it, it gets real for about yeah. 10 minutes. So, yeah, funniest movie. Very, very uh, heavy category. Do you have any other picks for those? Uh, probably, yeah, <laughs> but it's getting Difficult pretty one. late. <laughs> OK, so next is scariest movie. Uh, uh, this one. I have, again, two picks, and they're the same ones that I was considering for best score as well, which is Halloween 1 and Jaws. Okay. Uh, both very good. I, Jaws is, like, up there for me. I, I kind of don't even think of it as scary anymore because I've seen it so many well, times. Because, like, I first saw it when I was eight. Uh, my number I one pick is... I first saw it, like, three weeks ago. Uh, there you go. Uh, and it's terrifying. Uh, my number one pick is Ladybug, Ladybug. Just yeah. existentially terrifying, a very upsetting movie that kind of leaves you thinking. Uh, How and quickly the kids go Lord of the Flies mode. Yeah, like I mentioned, the the bossy girl earlier, yeah. the worst kid, kind of an indisputable pick there. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that, that's one that really stuck with me. Uh, and I would also give a shout out to Serpico. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary because it's a true yep. story. Yep. Okay. Yes. Uh, when we expand the definition of scary, <laughs> yeah, Serpico's pretty frightening. 
Yeah. Uh, like horror never really scares oh. me. Horror is my comfort food, so I don't think of it as scary. And I kind of just went a different way with those. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the, that's the thing. I, I totally I feel what you. I call yeah. it best best comedy and best horror because sometimes the horror is not scary, and sometimes the comedies. Sometimes right. the funniest movie isn't a comedy. Yeah, and I think it makes them a little bit more interesting categories to talk about. Uh, so next is best performance, and this one is just like one that was in contention uh, until like last week when it's just like, well, we picked Jaws, and it has Roy Scheider as Brody, who is one of my favorite performances in history, and that takes it. But it's so contentious from there, like so hard oh, to pick yeah. a second. Oh yeah. Like this, this is one of the ones that I've left blank because then it's the serious ones I have trouble with because it's like, oh man, people are gonna be upset if they don't win the serious award, but nobody's gonna care <laughs> if they lose the Yongery award. But then I realize Roy Scheider doesn't care if he wins. He doesn't even know that we exist. Uh, is Roy Scheider is long dead, I believe. Yeah. Oh well. Um, but um, yeah. Hmm. There, so, there's a lot of picks like Nick Cage shows up twice in my oh, yeah. up because like I both mean, for Moonstruck and Adaptation. Wings Hauser gives it his all in some of the movies he's in. Mm-hmm. Which is why he gets the MVP award. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think. Oh, shoot. I just remembered a most hated villain that I missed. Mm. The church that takes everybody to live in the haunted forest, uh, the preacher guy oh, uh, from uh, Eyes of Fire. The one right, who, and Retribution as well, the same guy. He was – he was. was uh, oh, yeah, he was that guy too. He was he the, was the Santa there. Maria guy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I cannot um, remember the actor's name offhand. But, yes, we've, we've yeah. seen him in a bunch of things now. And, yeah, he is – that guy's pretty evil and a very good performance as well. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I'm actually calling uh, not the Green Knight, but the guy who I thought was the Green Knight, who is the main guy, whose name I don't recall. Oh, Gawain. God. Dev Patel. Dev Patel yes. is Gawain. Uh, yeah, that's he just, the, that means he is great. Yeah, like, uh, this is so such a hard category. Incredibly hard category. Yeah. Like, if we hadn't watched Jaws, which is like, that Roy Scheider performance is like, dear to my heart. Uh, I mean, yeah, and he also got Nicholson and the Nicholson Shining. in The Shining way up uh, there. And I mean, for Jaws alone, you've got uh, Hooper got and three, Quint as well. Yeah, like right there. Um, oh, God, there was another one I was just thinking of that I just that I just lost. Pacino and Serpico. Oh, Pacino and Serpico. <laughs> the freaking the cast of Bullet Ballet. Oh yeah, everybody. So intense, miserable. pure intensity. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of great stuff, but yeah, like Roy Scheider takes it for me. I, I can't give it to one person. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so next is best effects, best special effects. Uh, what's your uh, pick? I got a few top ones, but one main one. Somehow, when I uh, transcribed from the thing, I didn't write this one down. Oops. Uh... Okay, well, I'll give you mine real quick. Yeah, and then yeah, you go, can go ahead. Jump in with yours while you think about it. Uh, my number one is The Thing, the greatest oh, well, practical right. effects of all time. Of course. It's so, so incredible to look at. They're still mind bending. They still look amazing, even though they right. came out before I was born. 
yeah, no, um, I can't disagree with the thing. I mean, what's what's better than that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my my other runners up, Baron Priscil, again, just for the aesthetic for of it and the, the way it was created. It looks made. Uh, it looks unbelievable. Yeah. And Tetsuo, just for the sheer grungy energy of its effects. Oh, particularly the first one. Yes, Tetsuo the Iron Man in particular is the one I'm thinking. Yeah, just yeah. the the way those effects look, uh, and just the the homemade quality, but just the weird intensity of all of them. Uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I'm I'm going with you on the thing though. The thing. Okay. Uh, best screenplay. Oh my gosh, I didn't transcribe this one either. How did I? How did you, the, these are all the these are like the last big ones uh, i, I well, just see here best performance best director best picture Oops. no i don't know how you missed those two but well best screenplay uh, i'm looking at the thing i don't see it i don't know well best screenplay oh, well. moonstruck patrick shanley john patrick shanley it's it, for me they're like it's such a perfectly constructed movie where every single piece and every line and everything counts so it all matters I agree that it. I, I see where you're coming from, and I with you, but I don't think that's my winner. Okay. I think my winner. Might I got another be... runner-up that's really close. Okay. I think my winner might be Wrath of Khan. Interesting. Very streamlined. Very uh, tight action script. That's a good one, Nicholas Meyer. Uh, uh, I or. Or, or censor censor interesting uh, my other one would certainly be charlie kaufman for adaptation oh right right yeah which is just you know <laughs> it's it, so bonkers it's it's a balancing act uh, it's it's incredibly self-referential and it intentionally kind of self-destructive uh screenwriting which it's beautiful i i really love that but yeah there, there's some very good choices here as well Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, next up is uh, the the big a uh, big one, best director. Okay, here I'm considering this have... best director overall. Okay, like best best person who we not best director of a film, but best person who directs films that we've seen. Well, uh, yeah, like kind of just in, in terms of the overall number of them, I kind of went with best director. Like, I. I'm not going for one specific movie, but for me, yeah, John yeah. Carpenter wins it because we covered a bunch of John Carpenter key films and they kind of dominate. And like if I was going for a single movie that is the best directed, it would probably be Kubrick. But Carpenter wins out over having, you know, The Thing, Halloween, Assault on Precinct 13, They Live, Starman. <laughs> Okay, yeah, see, I was actually going in a similar direction and thinking, like, best director overall rather than of a single right. movie. But I went with Tsukamoto. Tsukamoto was also the other one I had heavy in mind for this, too. Because, yeah, Tetsuo, both of them, Bullet Ballet, Tokyo Fist, tremendous, just straight through. Oh, oh which actually reminds me of a, another contender for best, best fight scene, maybe worst death. Uh, the kid in tetsuo 2 oh man that one is so intense uh i'd put that in uh best death uh yeah up there and 
uh, best fight scene. <laughs> the final showdown there is kind of up there. Pick one, yeah. I mean, there, there's yeah. a few good fight scenes in there. <laughs> yeah. And then we got just one really, the, the big one, and then we're going to do a little lightning round. So uh, best picture, number one overall. This is so hard. So hard. Yeah, so. Um, you, okay, I'll give you mine. Yeah, give me uh, yours. Number one is The Shining. It was really tough to pick between The Shining and The Thing and Jaws. These are all like absolutely fundamental movies to me, my all-timers. Uh, but number one has got to be The Shining. I, I like it is one I watch every single year without fail. Just a perfect okay. movie. It just uh, means a lot to me. Uh, and if if there were a best location award, I would give it to the. Oh Oak well, Park. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm kind of leaning in that direction myself here. The Shining but, is number uh, one. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. But uh, I I could also go with it's such a beautiful day. It's so good. That one's like, way up on my list too. Yeah. Uh, I I might actually have to give it to that one over The Shining. Nice, nice. I'm into it. Uh, so, in that regard, do you do you have any more for Best Picture before we move into our lightning round, or like what what other stuff was bubbling under for you there? Well, uh, there was. Oh God, what did I even say it was? <laughs> it's such a beautiful day. <laughs> That's it, right? Yeah. So yeah, I was thinking of The Shining. Uh, I was thinking of Halloween. Halloween's way up there, yeah. Um, I was... Tetsuo. <laughs> actually thinking of Tokyo Fist, because Ooh. if I had to pick a Tetsuo... Or a Tsukamoto. Bullet, or a, a Tsukamoto, rather. I think Bullet Ballet is the most powerful of the films, and probably mm. the best one, but uh, Tokyo Fist is the one I would go back to. Mm. For me, Tetsuo um, is definitely the the peak of those, but like they're all so solid, uh, oh, yeah. and like a bunch of them would be contenders there. And yeah. of course, Godzilla. Oh, mm. oh, Godzilla one, yeah, Ooh. yeah. Fistful of Dollars would be way up that, there. That's on the list. Um, yeah, lots Carol. of stuff. Carol, I mean, Moonstruck, <laughs> Serpico. We've watched some really watched great some movies. Real good ones. Uh. Okay, so a little lightning round. Did you come up with a couple of these? I did. Okay, excellent. Uh, best opening sequence slash title card slash, you know, the beginning bit. Right, okay. Uh, so give me I, I your pick, Yeah, give me your pick while I look at the list a little well, bit. Well, uh, as I was making it, as I was making these picks, I felt like I was loading 16 tons. But what do I get? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Joe vs. the Volcano's opening sequence is incredible. It's like just an art house. Yeah, that one. That that's probably my pick too. Um, some some honorable mentions would certainly be Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Just the yep. opening bang of it, the way it transitions into the opening credits. Oh yeah, is like the perfect. Yeah, it's just just the kill and then the the forklift credits. That's a good one. That's a real <laughs> that one's good up one. there. Uh, Batman Forever for just like the the establishment of it as uh <laughs> as like oh, oh we're the, the we're in robbery. a fan fiction yeah the it's <laughs> boiling acid boiling acid <laughs> the goggles don't do anything 
Uh, and as previously mentioned, Assault on Precinct 13, which, yep. you know, takes it to a really wild place very quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's some strong contenders there. Okay, so my my next one, my my first of these is Most Emotional. And I think uh, oh, we may have the same uh, pick here. <laughs> I have two. Yep. Um, I, of course, one is It's, a it's Such a Beautiful Day. day. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my pick for it. Uh, the other one was bullet ballet because of the state of mind that I foolishly put oh, myself yeah. in. Yeah, and it's it is an emotional film. Like that's an incredibly intense raw movie. Oh yeah, like it would have devastated me if I wasn't super freaking baked. Yeah, absolutely. Like that. That's a that's an excellent one too. Uh, yeah. What's your next one? Uh. Oh, my next category or next? Yeah, or unless you have more okay. for these. Oh, no. Uh, best costume or costumes? Uh, oh, interesting. Um, uh, so we can choose either like a film with the best overall, like best costumes overall, or one costume that's like, yeah, this is the costume. Certainly. And I, and I, have, I have two. Okay, uh, hit me with yours. costumes overall, I'm going to go with Carol. Carol, yeah, I remember um, you really loved the outfits and then oh I, I agree, God, those I are still great. I want to, like, God, I wish I could pull off what, like, Rooney Mara wears, but, like, but best mm-hmm. cost, best individual costume is female Prisoner 701's murder outfit with the black hat and the coat. Oh, that is a really it, good like, one. covers one eye, so you just get the death glare, and it's like, oh my God, please just, just kill me, just do it. I want this. <laughs> kill me mommy uh yeah uh and uh yeah those are both really great choices uh hmm, this is tough uh i i would put uh 12 monkeys in there i really love the uh just the future outfits which are just absurd and broken kind of like they're oh yeah the dystopian kind of tech future where just nothing really worked out all that great yeah yeah that that's a good one uh batman forever again oh of course mention because uh those are really fun um yeah uh and uh gamma versus baragon for the baragon oh, outfit the baragon outfit and, you kind of can't camera outfit yeah, too, I, yeah. I kind of got to give them both the love. So it's not Gamera. But, and it's also the improved suits. That's where they oh, add yes, the color yes. in the eyes and stuff. Just outstanding. And also Tetsuo, of course, the <laughs> the mechs, the, the, at the end when they're all mechs. <laughs> the tank. Yeah, incredible. Or tanks. Uh, yeah. It's hard yeah. to say. Outstanding. Uh, my next oh, those one. Those are all good ones. Yeah. Um, my next uh, lightning round, Can't Stop Thinking About It Award. What's one that's just like stuck in your mind and you just kind of have has stayed with you all the time? One that your your mind returns to a lot. Different ones last uh, and different ones last different amounts of times for different Mm. reasons. Like like Joe versus the volcano, just because I'll never get Dan Hedaya's voice out of my head. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's going to be that's going to be with me till the day I die. It will. Yeah, that's Uh, fair. The Flesh and the Fiends was one for a while that I couldn't stop thinking about. That one's very intense. Quite, like, grim and bleak. Look at it yeah. like a real true crime and just really raw about it for its period when it was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they hunt down that one guy is is rough. Oh, yeah. uh, I'll give you mine. Mine is Adaptation. 
adaptation just stays in my mind. I, I think about it a lot. There's a lot of quotes in it. It's it's just one that's kind of fun to think about as a picture box. There's just so much about it to unravel. Okay, that's a good one. I'm actually thinking. Oh my god, I had it and I lost it. Oh right, yeah, no, Tokyo Fist. Tokyo Fist. Okay, uh, yeah, there's great. there's a lot in there for me. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and I would also say Jaws is just a movie oh, I think yeah, about yeah. a lot because I love Jaws so much. <laughs> And I mean, Army of Darkness, but that's only because I Quotable. grew up with that movie and yeah, I've yeah. already always been thinking about it. Yeah. Okay, do you, do you got another category? I do. All right. Uh, since we're talking about Army of Darkness, uh, best or favorite one-liner or something else to just put someone in their place? Oh, oh. And uh, what do you a, got? This is a tough one, but... Uh, Oh, gosh, there was oh, man, I lost it now. But there was actually something from 110th Street that hmm. prompted me to think of this. And now I can't remember what it was. Dang. Uh, so I'm going to say, I mean, S- smile, you son of a boom is incredible, of course. Th- that is a classic. Uh, I feel like A Fistful of Dollars has a couple solid oh, ones because he really makes... Every one of them count. Uh, I, I, oh, I yeah. kind of would go with. I don't think it's. Or I, I, I don't think it's right. You laughing uh, is is a real good, just like bone chilling. Like, oh, things just got a lot more serious than we thought yeah, they did. Yeah. Um. Your knife is <laughs> my dog. And and uh, the hard ticket to why opening banger of uh, run them and their boat through the shredder and feed them to the fish. <laughs> it's, it's got a hell of a bang to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's lots. There's so many. There are many. Uh, so I got one more. And this is okay. uh, best theme song. And this is kind of like a, a tight one for just both episodes this or both uh, movies this week have tremendous theme songs oh that's that's tough well and like i'm going with theme song rather than oh, just okay theme. so, so halloween theme 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 Hall- <laughs> we, we did score already yeah okay okay so an actual song yeah uh, this this one's hard for me too uh oh oh um the robot shuffle from cinderella 2000 <laughs> is not the theme song not really the theme song, although that's an excellent just other song in the movie that's great. Yeah. And like yeah. overall, if we were doing soundtrack, Batman Forever kind of deserves a shout out. I mean, that's a, I listen to that soundtrack yeah. so much in the nineties. Oh, for sure. Uh, I could. I'm going down our list here, but I'm actually kind of thinking you could argue that 16 Tons is a theme song to Joe versus the volcano. I could see that, even though it wasn't written for that. No, but like it, it certainly is thematic to the film. Yeah. Uh, my my pick is definitely across 110th Street. It's just such an all timer. Uh, and Hard Ticket is a real Hard runner up. Hard Ticket is it's, real That's good. a great I mean, theme. It's a banger. Hard and, Ticket to Hawaii. Uh, and and I obviously have to shout out Cry Little Sister from Lost Boys. That that one is just so great. Oh. Oh, yeah. I really love that song. Uh, 
kind of the theme, but also kind of not, which is why I don't award it to that. Yeah, I was actually kind of thinking the the other one, the was it Morrison? The people are strange oh, people are strange. It, it, the Echo and the Bunnymen cover of it, but it is a Doris song and originally. Oh, okay. A hot ticket to Hawaii. Uh, all great, yeah. There, there, oh, there are some man. bangers in recent episodes, especially. Yeah, yeah. And Moonstruck, you could argue that's a more. Oh yeah. When yeah, the yeah. moon hits your eye. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, do you have any other uh, categories for this? I, those are my. I only did the uh, three lightning round. Ones. I got one more. Okay, and perfect. It's... And then I have one final honorary award, which I think we'll both agree. Okay, best cut to credits or or even maybe best smash cut so like two opening credits or to closing uh, credits can be both i had closing credits in mind because you we already kind of did best opening and best yeah. song best opening really kind of is is dominator right now by our tonight's movie <laughs> yeah um if we're doing best smash cut i'm actually kind of again recency bias is a thing but hmm yeah, I mean, like, again, how cross 110th Street, that's a real killer of a final moment. It's like, whoa, holy shit. Yeah, that's a killer yeah. freeze frame. Yeah. I-, I was thinking, like, who killed Seth? Smash cut to the wheel stopping. Oh, yeah, that too. Well, like, I, I was thinking if we're just doing the end of a movie. But if we're Smash just cut ending, overall, yeah. that I I don't even know where to begin. There's so many. Yeah, no, there's too much. Um, That was actually... Yeah, now I'm... Because, oh, what was one that just went to... Any of the kung fu ones? Yeah, like, like five right, fingers the of death. Now. They they end with a bang. Uh, they they always just like boom. We're over. Everybody's yep. dead now. Why are you even sticking around here? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um. Oh god, just bullet ballet ending with like the burning bodies and the then them walking bodies. away from each other. That one is up there. Yeah, bullet ballet is a oh. is a banger of an ending. Yeah. Um, oh, um, giant claw. It just when it sinks into the ocean. The bird, and then he's dead, and that's the end of the movie, guys. That one, that one would easily be my number one if it just did what I always wish it would, and it curled into a metal finger when it was sinking. It I always like wish for it's it to. Supposed to. Never quite does. Uh, my other one would certainly be Clue. Oh, Clue yes. has like four of them. They're all really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but the communism is red herring. Yes, of course. Uh, so uh, I, I would say we have one more honorary award to uh, deliver. The Green Award for Most Recycled Movie we'll give to <laughs> Gamera versus Zegra, I'm sure. Uh, but it may be a more competitive category with the other Gamera movies we watch next year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. You said the version that you watched had t- the Baragon fight twice? No, it, it had just the entire, it had all of the Baragon fights. And used a, <laughs> Why? Like, it, it has three different versions, and the difference between the versions is escalating amounts of stock footage used. It was fun. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, th- those are all the awards we we had lined up. Uh, this is oh, a lot of fun. Okay, you know what? It, uh, best cut to credits is dot dot dot. But who killed Captain Alex? <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, uh, also shout out to Safety Last with 
Uh, I'll get back to you oh, as soon as I ditch this the top and then walk him through card. the tar. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's that's okay. also really that's, great. Yeah, yeah, and Evil Dead with uh, Bruce Campbell getting hit by a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> Any of the Evil Dead movies, really? Yeah, all, all ending with Bruce Campbell being hit in the face with the camera, basically. Uh, yeah, <laughs> each one of them tremendous. Actually, any of the Evil Dead opening t- openings too, where you yeah. kind of just film him getting shit kicked out of the same demons again in just different ways. Just slamming into it every time. Yeah, all all solid on both ends. Uh, so yeah, uh, I I think that uh, yeah. covers pretty much all of them. Uh, do you have any last thoughts before to close off our first year? Uh, long extravaganza Gosh, no, for our finale. <laughs> <laughs> We started a little late. We took a longer break than we needed. Oh, well. (laughs) We knew this was going to be our longest episode. Yeah, for fun times. And and we we went long on Hard Ticket (laughs) because Hard Ticket is a blast. That's why we chose it for number 50. That's that's the exact reason. I was like, man, I know that we're going to have shit to say about this. (laughs) Indeed. So uh, anyone who's stuck around this long to listen to all this silly crap, uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, On to another year. And and next week we're going to be talking about the 1956 Western Backlash and the 1966 uh, creature comedy musical uh silliness overload sting of death Uh, it's it's got a dance sequence it's got its own song oh i'm so happy (laughs) all right uh thanks very much everyone sadoichi 2003 when it ended on the dance sequence oh yeah that's a heck of an ending yeah um you know what you know what different kind of considered the best ending though what the ending of this episode (laughs) (laughs) we are not (laughs) we're not good we're we're do a very great job. <laughs> we're we're gonna uh, go with one of the classics. Uh, it's you know we're 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 doing one of the old ones. We're we're celebrating the history. So uh, thanks everyone for listening and keep watching the stacks. <laughs>